get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. that up that's a high sticking penalty the blues are now going to go to the power play and they need this power play that was very good in the first minute uh, it might be four he's grabbing a towel yeah, i see four fingers florida number nine four minutes double minor high stick got to make a difference oh man you can not only get the equalizer maybe even go ahead Hayes digs for it verona gets in to get the puck for the blues centers to kapanen and he launches it wide the rebound goes to kachuk they'll clear it down and a Blues power play goes over. Man, that's top two. That is a top four minutes straight. You got to tip your hat to the Florida Panthers too. What a kill! That could have been a tied game going into the third. It could have. We could have been up one if we finish on our chances. And we had the chances, but we have to have the mindset that we have to step on the ice and we're looking to score. Oh boy, that was the moment that we should have known that that game was over. Alongside Alex and T-Bone on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Blues power play once again over last night, and that's the story. That's the story of the game. It's the story of the season, Alex. If this power play, forget being great, if this power play was average, mediocre, somewhere in the middle of the league, we'd be talking about a team that as of today is probably sitting in a playoff spot, maybe even comfortably. Instead, it's one of the worst power play uh, by any team this point in the season in the last 60 years in the NHL. No, that's not an overstatement, boys. That is the reality of where we are at at this point in the season. I looked this up earlier today. Through the first 39 games of the season, which is where we are at at this point of the year, the St. Louis Blues have scored a total of 12 power play goals. By the way, that is fewer than Sam Reinhart has on the season. Good. So the Blues at 12 power play goals through the first 39 games of the season. There have been a total of two teams in the last 60 years that had fewer power play goals at this point in the season than your St. Louis Blues do. Two third worst power play in the last 60 years at this point of the season in terms of pure power play goal production it's abysmal and last night it lost them the game you had an opportunity there early in the second period to be able to at least tie that game maybe even take the lead in that game instead you get some chances sure that first power play especially the first minute or so of it looked great but they don't convert. And at some point, you've got to come away with production. This team has not been able to do that. So let me put it into a uh, football terminology here. Let's say a quarterback has the ball in his hands and he is staring at a wide receiver for a good three seconds before he throws it. What do you think happens? 
throws I a touchdown. I think that typically goes well, and I've never seen it in poorly. <laughs> I think that's incorrect. I think oh. every single cornerback and even the fan that's drinking 18 Coors Lights can say, ah, oh, he's throwing to that guy, and you could this pick it off. Budweiser City, oh, sir? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, I, you look like a Coors Light guy. I, myself, as a Budweiser guy, <laughs> you look like a you know Coors Light a guy. guy. Come on. That looks, I also believe that, but... The, the reason I'm saying that is because the blues in that first unit specifically, they're predictable every single time. You know what's going to happen. They're going to try to feed it to the middle guy so he can get a one time shot right in front of the Except net. Except for on the first, the first opportunity, the first though, opportunity was boom, boom shots from the far it was like side, seven different like planned plays that all were going simultaneously. I was like, damn. Who is this team and what they do with the first power play? But, and then it became the exact same thing. The reason that that happened was because then it, w- it went from that first unit where it was like, hey, this is a good hockey game still. We've got the lead. Let's add on to it. It went from that to, oh, bleep, we've got to score a goal to get back into this hockey game. And when the pressure mounts, the Blues power play cannot survive. And I've kept track of this all season because at the end of the year, if this is like historically bad, I'm going to be fascinated at what this looks like. So I've, I've categorized their power play into opportunities to where they can take the lead in a hockey game when they can tie the game and when they can extend the lead from one goal to two goals. So pad the lead 23 times this season. The blues have had the opportunity to take the lead with their opponent on the power play and have not scored Mm. 18 times. They've had the opportunity to tie the hockey game and they've only scored once. And so 30, one, for 18. one for 18 and 38 times they've had the opportunity to take a game from a one goal lead to a two goal lead and have not scored. That is 82. If my math's correct, I'm doing it quick on the fly of your 114 power play opportunities that have been crucial to a game and you have not scored. And so give me, give me those numbers again. One so, for 18. So one for 18. 23 0 for 23 when you've had the opportunity to take the lead on the power play 0 for 23 23 when you've had the opportunity to take the lead on a power play and you were 0 for 38 when you've had the opportunity to extend the lead from a one goal to a two goal lead and so let's just focus on the the first two portions of this one for 41 is essentially what you are when you're trying to take the lead or tie the game yep one for 41 when the game is in the balance and you've got an opportunity to really either work your way back into it or put yourself in a good spot because Last of a night. man advantage one for 41 is what the blues are on the season if you took out those from what they've done you can't do this obviously you, you took out those from we'll their it. power play opportunities on this season uh, what is their overall power play opportunities? 113. 113. So you have 72 doing some quick math here. They've scored 12 goals. You're 11 for 72 in other situations. That's fine. It's not great. It's fine. It's like a 16%-ish power play opportunity rate. That's like 20th in the league. If they had that rate the entirety of the season you'd in be, the stuff that you're talking about, you'd be pushing for third place. If you, instead of one for 41, we're talking about seven for 41. You're okay. That's not great again, but you're in a decent spot. That's another six goals that either tie the game or take the lead for you. That's your season right there. When we do the obituary for the 2024 St. Louis blues, I don't know when that's going to happen. Maybe it's the trade deadline. Maybe it's June. After I don't they know. win the cup. Whenever that takes place, an obituary. the reason why they will not reach the ceiling of whatever the season could have been is because of this. It's because of the power play. 
And the other reason why, Alex, is because of boneheaded mistakes like we saw last night. And who oh boy, did we see an all-timer. That was a what? rough one. Yakub yeah. Verona. Yakub. I, I thought there was something there, potentially. I still will... I will defend the decision to bring Yakub Rana in. But T-Bone, we've got a cut in there from Bannister last night on his thoughts about the turnover that led to the Panthers' third goal that essentially put that game away, if we're being honest here. And Bannister was not particularly thrilled with what he saw there from Yakub Rana. You know, the turnover that led to the third goal was basically how it got away from us. We had full possession. We had speed. It was a forward that was backing up the D, and we try and make a play inside out instead of just driving it wide or chipping it by him. We get ourselves in trouble, and it goes the other way and ends up in the back of our net. We shot ourselves in the foot. Absolutely, you did. And he's not calling out Yakub Verana's name, but essentially he is. Watch the highlight. What Yakub Verana did was he skated into the offensive zone with guys on him, and he had no opening. There was nothing there for him. So what the team has been doing in those last seven, eight, nine games under Drew Bannister is when that play's not there, you dump it behind the defenseman, they go back to get it, and you forecheck to retrieve the puck. What Yakub Verana tried to do was try to toe drag and dangle the defenseman. Because there was nothing there, it got picked off of his stick easily, and that defenseman did the outlet pass up to Kachuk, and they had the two-on-one break and scored the goal. All you needed to do to avoid that play was dump the puck behind the defenseman and go win a puck battle. But you decided well, not to. Don't even win the puck battle. Just go Just back to the damn bench. Just do the first part of it. Just go back <laughs> to the damn bench. But what you did there is you you made your teammates believe that you were going to make that play, so they pushed offense. And what happens when the puck gets stolen away? Now you've got four guys in the offensive zone with one guy back and three Florida Panthers players going the other way. That's the type of plays that the Blues were doing. That's the type of plays that the Blues stopped doing follow that Tampa Bay Lightning game. And that's the type of plays that Drew Bannister cannot see on the ice. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line. This one comes from the 618. Guys, it was one turnover. They ended up losing the game by three goals, if you didn't remember. It was a bad play, but I would blame the power play for being bad before just blaming Verona for the loss. Uh, I agree. That's why we started out talking about the power play. Yeah. The power play was the, the reason why the they line. were in that spot to begin Which, with. And then Verona continued to put them behind the eight ball by giving the puck to the other team and then getting it going into the other direction. And by the way, your goalie didn't help you out last night either. No. Huso wasn't particularly. Huso. Huso. God, both of you guys. Wasn't I mean, no, they look like the same guy. But you know, to that starting. <laughs> you know, to that texter's point, both were the problems last night because the third period you had a power play that could have tied the game and instead that power play ended and Yakub Verona tried to make the play and it went the other way. He was then asked, uh, Bannister was after the game about if guys are trying to get into that lineup if they're trying to battle into the lineup and he basically said, yeah, Verona ain't going to be in there anymore. <laughs> you know, that's a player's decision. Do they want to stay in the lineup? Are they willing to do the same with the things that we're asking as a coaching staff to do? Uh, are they willing to help us? And when I see plays like that, you know, where we're in a good position at that point of the game, although we are down one, we felt pretty good about our game. Um, and now the puck gets turned over and we're down two against a very good hockey team and, and we're chasing. And at that point, you know, we have to have better puck management. We have to have better game management, awareness of where we are and awareness of how we're playing. We don't need to 
to score at that moment. You know, we, we just need to continue to push and do the things we do to give us opportunities. And that was that was a high risk play that didn't need to happen. Alex, this is something I get frustrated with, with coaching in the NFL is sometimes coaches don't seem to understand the time and situation of the game. For example, I think it was the Cowboys that ended up get, taking that deep shot that kept oh, yeah. 40 seconds on the clock. Yep. That was against the Dolphins, if I'm not mistaken. Against, oh, I thought you were talking about the Lions game. Maybe it was the Lions game. That's what out it was. By the it was the Lions game. So they take a deep shot. There's like two minutes left on the clock. All they have to do in this spot, Alex, is run the ball. Just run the ball, bleed out this clock, take the 40 seconds down. Lions don't have that timeout. That is, that is what you do in this spot. I'm all for being aggressive when it's necessary instead they take the deep shot it falls incomplete they save 40 seconds and allow the lions to come back and potentially score going the other direction awful 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 game management that's what this was from yakub brana it's bad game management you got to understand where you're at in the game what the situation is hey have we been on the ice for 40 seconds already if the answer is yes we're probably going to get off for a line change let's not go ahead and go dangle our our way through the lineup when it's going to be one on five that's probably not the smartest way to go about things here. So Yakub Vrana yesterday, in my opinion, played his final game in a Blues uniform. Maybe that doesn't end up being the case. I'd be surprised at this point. My guess is they will replace him in the lineup with Nathan Walker. Nathan Sammy Walker Blay. will move up. Sammy oh, Blay will go into the fourth line. And we go about our merry way. This weekend, I believe Nikita Alexandrov's conditioning assignment is up. You can go ahead and call him back up. Send Yakub Vrana back down. If he wants to play for the Springfield Thunderbirds the rest of the year, by all means, go ahead and do that. Otherwise, I think this is it. I think we can be done. They tried the experiment. That has run its course. The thing about it is, and I understand if people are like, well, it was only one game. If you're making those mistakes and you're not contributing on the offensive side, then there's no point of having you on the ice. Like we need offense from you. And if you're not creating offense and you're turning the puck over and it's going the other way, well, then you're hindering the team. And right now, the only thing you need to be focused on is winning games. That should have been probably a 2-1 game going into the final three minutes if you don't score on the power play and you give yourself an opportunity to tie it when you pull the goaltender. But instead, one play, because you wanted to try and change the game yourself, turned into a two-goal deficit, which then turned into a three-goal deficit, which then turned to an insurmountable hill that the Blues couldn't climb back up. So the Blues, the only way they're going to have success for the rest of this season is the team pack mentality and that pack mentality is going to come down to, you know what? I think I could beat this defenseman with my skills, but I better not. I better just dump it in and go get it. That's how you win. Smart play. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Blues off tonight back in action tomorrow at home against the New York Rangers. Going to be exciting to see our guy, Chris Kreider, best top, best player in the NHL. He's going to be We saw our guy Matthew St. Kachuk Louis. last night, too. Man, imagine Ooh. those two guys, right? Can you Great. imagine a line with Jimmy Snuggerud, Robert Thomas, and Matthew Kachuk? Can you it? imagine a line of Matthew Kachuk, Chris Kreider, and Robert Thomas on it? Oh, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> it's too early in the morning. <sighs> Chris Kreider has scored 20 goals in his first 39 games mm. this year. Mm. Is he the most underrated player in the league, yeah. in all seriousness? Absolutely. There is, you have never heard anybody have a conversation about Chris Kreider. Yeah, I didn't know he's a Rangers until so he just brought well, it up. He's the third best player, fourth best player on the Rangers team. In a lot he? of Well, in a lot of people's eyes, he is. People, when you think of the Rangers, think in of... In the last three seasons, 52 goals, 36 oh, yeah. goals, and this year he's on pace for 42. But think of the game, think of the people he plays with. So he plays with Adam Fox, he plays with Artemi Panera, and he plays with Shesterkin, and Touché. he plays with Mika uh, Zabinijad. So, like, he's the fifth guy you talk about when you get to the Rangers. Turns out they're a pretty good team. So that 
that's who you've got on the docket for tomorrow night. Tough rebound opportunity for the St. Louis Blues. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into some NFL quick hitters. But next, hey, Shota Imanaga, the guy that we talked about all season. This guy is a cardinal through and through. It's going to be cheaper than going to the Yamamoto market. Well, that was true. Unfortunately, the Cubs uh, thought that that would be the best case scenario for them as well. We'll talk about it, what it means for the Cubs, what T-Bone thinks it doesn't mean for the Cubs next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Conversations did we have in the second half of the season about Chota Imanaga? Forty-seven and three quarters. Wow, that feels low, honestly. No, uh, he's not that good. So we were talking about the big fish because the Cardinals are going to spend. If you're not familiar, Shota Imanaga is the other guy that was coming over from Japan. Yamamoto was the top. He was the big fish, right? Everybody was casting their reels, hoping to to reel in the big fish. That was Yamamoto. He got three hundred million dollars from the Dodgers. Nobody else stood a chance. But Shota Imanaga was the affordable option via the free agency market. He was going to be in that second tier, right? Maybe even below the likes of uh, Sonny Gray, for example. And so we all sat back and we're like, you know what? Especially after talking to Eno Saris, who's the pitching guy for the athletic. He's like, hey, you know who I really like for bang for your buck type of an addition? I like Shota Imanaga. And so we all decided we're on the Shota Imanaga bandwagon. He's now a cub. He signed yesterday. The reports indicate that this is going to be worth roughly $15 million per year. And what I find to be really interesting is that there are some reports suggesting, according to John Heyman, this might be a two-year guaranteed deal. Now, the guaranteed part of that is doing a lot of work. I don't know if that means it's a two-year deal with, with a player opt-out or if there's a team opt We don't have the details on this just yet, so keep that in mind. But... $15 million per, per year is remarkably cost-effective, Alex. Would you have wanted the Cardinals yeah. to stay patient and maybe get in on this market? How do you feel about the fact that he's going to be pitching for the Cubbies remember, now on a more than reasonable contract? Remember when the Cardinals told us that they had to sign Libn and Gibson because that those guys were going to go fast and they had to throw that money out there? If you just would have waited, you could have paid $3 million more for Shota Imanaga. Okay, well, this is interesting. This also comes from John Heyman. Uh, according to John Heyman on 670 The Score, I just saw this for the first time. Uh, John Heyman's understanding is that there were teams out there willing to more than double the guaranteed money on Shota Imanaga's contract. So he wanted, he to, be wanted to be a Cub. Okay. So, Never mind. Cool. <laughs> Omaha! Let's talk NFL quick hitters next on Up 101 next. ESPN. <laughs> T-Bone, I know you've got a significant... Okay, let's set aside. Should the Cardinals have done this? No, apparently they couldn't. Way to um, go, Cardinals! Good read on the market, Mo. That was my actual opinion on this. Yeah, uh, I love that they signed Lynn and Gibson because the double show to Imanaga wouldn't have made any sense. Also, if you ended up waiting it out and he just wanted to be a Cub, now you're left standing and you're thinking to yourself, oh boy, <laughs> what now we, we got to pay Blake Snell. It is January 10th and Ooh. we don't have a fallback option. <laughs> T-Bone, yeah, a lot of people giving a lot of credit to the yeah, Cubs for this signing. Why, T-Bone? <laughs> I think they yeah. deserve a lot of credit for this signing. It's smart. It's a good move. He seems to be a really good pitcher based on people that actually uh, watched him. I can't tell you. I've never watched the dude other than in the World Baseball Classic. He just Classic. wanted to be there. 
What did you make of this move? Do you think that the Cubs are now a contender in the Central? No. No, they're not a contender in the Central. Their rotation's still not anywhere cl- close to the level it was last year. Like, I I, I think they were better with the Steele-Stroman combination and whatever the hell they had to fill out the back end of that rotation compared to what they have now. And I think the biggest thing for me is because we haven't seen Imanaga and a lot of the comps that I saw today, Eno Saris, friend of the show, writes for The Athletic, was kind of comping him to a Nestor Cortez, a Joe Ooh. Ryan, who's a, who are good pitchers. Nestor Cortez? But those guys are like three fours. They, what? What? Yeah. Nestor Cortez Joe was Ryan, an all-star. Cortez had a terrible year last year. Yeah, but everybody has a bad year. Really good. No, his stuff's fine. Two years ago, he was in the Scott Young Cortez? conversation. Yeah, two years ago. Last year, he, did, he was not that great, and he cool, hadn't been there before that. Year. I, I think they signed a three, and I think they've got basically the, a similar rotation to the Cardinals, where they've got a one. Two. I What's that? He's got more upside than anybody not named... Uh, uh, Sonny Gray. Kyle here. Hendricks yeah. against the Cardinals. But I, I think they've got a... Three, another three was brought into the mix for the Cubs. Like they, he's not at the level better of Stroman. Um, so I, I you don't think he's Stroman? No, I, I don't think he's better than. What do you Stroman. consider Stroman to be? I think he's a two. I, I think why? He, because Marcus Stroman has shown he the pitch last his, year. He sucked after in the he dealt second with half. the injury, but he was great in the you first just half. Said with Joe Ryan and Mister Cortez that I'm not supposed. But Marcus to- Stroman's been good for a long stretch. By the way. Marcus Stroman's okay. been a good pitcher. I would view Marcus Stroman as a two. I mean, he's clearly the top second-tier pitcher on the market right now. Why is right Marcus now. Stroman seen as significantly better than Miles um, Michaelis? They're the same dude. I, Marcus Stroman but I think a Stroman's, 3-5 ERA two years ago. Yeah. That's a three. So did, I, I so think did Stroman's Michaelis. viewed as a two across Miles, across baseball. I, I don't think Michaelis oh, is viewed I, as a two. I think Michaelis now is viewed as a three. Yeah, I think I, both are, should be viewed that I, way. I think Stroman, I, I think the rotation when they had Steele, Stroman, is better than Steele and Imanaga. I, I truly believe that. I, I think I, I think the contract's going to be fine, especially if it's like $15 million. I don't have a problem with the contract. I just don't think the rotation's as better as everybody else seems to think it is. Everybody else is saying, hey, they brought in Imanaga. This is a huge upgrade for the Chicago Cubs. Well, I think it's more fair, looking at it as just the NL Central sucks, and now they're back in there. I that way. I think you're over-exaggerating what people are making this signing into. I think you let Rocky get to you. <laughs> no, I, I, so. I, I, I read today from Keith Law. Well, it's Keith Law. I respect Keith Law and what he has to write about baseball. As an interview, yeah, yeah, an interview. Sometimes you get under your skin, but I, he said today, that with this signing, the Cubs can win 85 to 88 wins and win the NL Central. And they again, can. Uh, but that, that's what I'm saying is it's more of an argument against the NL Central. Correct. Of, I, but I still don't think this rotation is good enough to get to that point I for think them. They're better than the Cardinals. I would I, put I them the there. I think they're. Better, I think they're missing a bat, and I and I, we'll see what they do there. I think, the, I think the Cubs have at least two guys with upside. I think the Cardinals have one. I would still the put Cubs, the Cubs third right now in the Central, behind the Reds and behind the Cardinals. If you I, think the I Cardinals think are first. and the Reds are kind of similar, and I think the Cardinals are the best per currently, but I'm also a homer, so here we are. Um, You're a Cincinnati Reds fan. Eighty three games last year. Can they win eighty five? Yeah. He's basically saying the Cubs did enough to stay where they were a year ago. Like that's that is essentially what Keith Law or said. add five more wins. I think he's right. If they go out, but they got to get Cody Bellinger. Yeah. They got to bring Cody Bellinger. Which they back. will. They, they've got to add probably one other bat of some significance. There's not a ton of great ones out there. I think 85 to 88 wins is more than reasonable for this Cubs team if things go their direction. I think that is roughly the range that the Cardinals are going to be in. I think that's roughly the range that the Reds are going to be in. This division stinks. I don't think it's as I think your read on it was 100% correct, Steve Owen. I, I don't think he lost saying, hey, this is a superpower. If they were in the NL East, the NL West, they're a playoff contender for sure. No, it's because of the division that they're in. If they were in the AL Central, they'd be a contender. If they were in the NL Central, they're a contender. Any other division in the sport, 
not a contender. That That's the reality of playing in either of the two central divisions right now. I think it's ridiculous the Cardinals didn't spend $15 million to get him. He wanted to be a Cub. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if he wanted to be a Cub, it is what it is. Cool. Way to go, man. Way to go, Cards. Spend more, you know, lure him here. Yeah. Well, you could not bet the 20 and try and We're bring him to St. Louis. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line to get involved in the show. <laughs> this one comes from uh, comes from a six three six. Guys, you're all saying that the Cubs are better. T bone's not uh, than the suck. Cardinals. If that's the case, why don't you go broadcast in Chicago? <laughs> I'd love to work with Kaplan. Uh, sorry, I, I my duties are pre and post game on the St. Louis Blues, so uh, my wife my, lives here. I can't duties. move. It's my duties. So that's that's why I'm here. Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> why don't you go to Chicago if you love them so much? Clip it. <laughs> I just said I think the Cardinals are better. First of all, I just said no, they're third didn't. in the division. And second of all, do you guys want us to give you our honest opinion or not? Because. My honest opinion is wait. the Cardinals are like an 87 win team. I was going to say, wait, we, we weren't giving our honest opinion And yet? if you want us to sugarcoat and do the rainbows and butterflies type of thing, we can do that. Trust me, we can. It'd be really hard. But oh, I can do it. That's not what you guys want. It's not what you deserve. You deserve to hear the honest truth about your team. Your team is solid. It's fine. It's pretty good. I, I think they did some things this offseason that have marginally upgraded the team. And... I think the marginal upgrades are enough for them to compete for the playoffs because of the division that they play in. I think the same thing is true of the Cubs. I think the same thing is true of the Reds. I think all of these teams are in that poo-poo platter of 83 to 88 wins this year. And it depends on if the ball bounces your way, if you end up in the 88 or you end up in the 83. And that's going to determine which of these teams makes the playoffs this year. Maybe the manager will determine based on, because I think managers have limited ability to increase your potential. I think you can have a three to five game difference depending on who your manager is. Now, if you hate Ollie Marmel, you probably think the Cardinals end up in the 83 range. If you like Ollie Marmel, I personally think he's a pretty good manager. You probably think it's closer to 88. That's pretty much it, man. This division is not all that hard to break down because all of these teams are somewhere in that muddy middle. That's the reality of the central division right now. The same thing would be true in the AL. Those teams all stink too. Yeah, that's true too. The The AL central might be worse. Kind of. And but I, all... I think it's a, to be fair, I think it's a four team race in the NL Central if Milwaukee doesn't sell Burns. Yeah, but we know how that's going to be. I think Milwaukee's yeah. done. Like, I, I don't think. I think they're going to sell at the deadline. But like going into the season, will I consider them a part of this poop platter in the NL Central? Yeah, they, they'll belong there. On, and then they'll poop, poop slide platter. off. They'll slide off once they fall down and trade Burns at the deadline. I, I My biggest thing with the Cubs signing with Ibanaga is the rotation to me is worse than where it was last year. And I think if you're going to say that they improve still, it's more from the Craig Council hiring than it is from the Imanaga signing. He's T-Bone. That's Alex. I'm BK. 3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. But coming up next, we got to dive into some NFL quick hitters. Guys, there is going to be some nasty weather around the NFL this weekend. How much is that going to play into the games that we see on the field? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
dive into some NFL quick hitters. Have you guys looked at some of the forecasts for the weather this weekend? Sunny and 59. <laughs> it ain't going to be great. You could not pay me to go to this Chiefs game on Saturday. Oh, you could not pay me. My dad called me yesterday. He said, hey, what you got going on this weekend? I said, dad, no. <laughs> he said, well, what do you mean? I said, I know you've got season tickets. I know nobody wants to go to that game with you. I'll I'm not going. Dad. Layer up, man. Don't yeah. be a wimp. It is going to be at kickoff zero degrees. The feels like temperature is negative 15. I'm in. I'm in. Dude, I, I've got Illinois basketball no. tickets this weekend. Dude, I'd tell them to go to the Chiefs. Are you serious? Yeah. Do you know how happy game, I was baby? that the Winter Classic that was played in Minnesota was played in Minnesota and I didn't have to go to it? That I, was cold. <laughs> I can't tell you how little I would be interested in going to that game. Like, zero percent. I can't tell you. I was offered tickets for free to go with my father, who has parking passes. They've got a bus that they tailgate out of. I don't want to go. And Arrowhead Stadium's like my cathedral, man. I love that place. It's the best place to watch. Best place to watch a game in the NFL. I haven't been to Lambeau. I'd love to at some point. This Wait, is, you don't want to go to this weather, but you'll go to Lambo? Yeah, in like October. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know. I was going to say. Well, it's like 40. <laughs> um, but anything beyond that, uh-uh, no sorry. <laughs> this is going to be brutal. And the Dolphins are coming to Kansas City as a team that does not play well in cold weather. This is a team that's built for September in Miami, not January <laughs> in Kansas City when it's zero degrees outside. Tua has played, I believe it's one game in his NFL career under 40 degrees. It didn't go well for him, but that's not even the game that I want to focus on, boys. Buffalo might be worse. This weekend in Buffalo, the updated forecast calls for 25 mile per hour sustained winds. Oh, that's not good for Josh Allen. (laughs) 50 mile an hour gusts, 23 degrees, but it feels like seven degrees. Oh, baby. It's where boys become men in the cold. Guys, or men become boys in the cold. If you look at games that have about a 25 mile per hour wind in uh, Buffalo, doesn't happen all that often. Only five Bills home games in the last 20 years have had that. On average, the total set at around 37. On average, the team score five points below that. Mm. Since 2008, on average, the team score roughly 26 points total between the two of them. How much do you think weather is going to play into the two AFC wildcard games this weekend? Uh, it's playing everything in the AFC wildcard games. Like I, I would say throw all of your money against Miami because they are not having any success. The only thing going for them is at least Tyree kill is used to playing in this type of cold weather. But I like just looking back at the last few games, like when they played Baltimore, that game was in Baltimore, correct? And it was freezing out and they got shellacked. So uh, I would say don't bet against them. Buffalo. Who knows? Like cold is probably like their prime. Uh, but with that type of mile an hour winds, dude, the st- Mike Tomlin, it can't wait for this game. But Josh Allen, like, this is my fever dream. I can't <laughs> wait for a seven to three final. And Josh Allen's going to be just throwing balls one way. And they're going <laughs> to the right in people's hands that aren't on his team. In all seriousness, the Bills game plan in this one should be run Josh Allen, run James yeah. Cook, rinse, repeat. Well, that should be yeah, it. With no TJ Watt, you should never do anything other than run the ball against that Pittsburgh team. Yeah, I, I don't think the weather's going to, I mean, it's going to play a factor in that game. Buffalo should still win this game pretty easily because Pittsburgh's not good in a dome, let alone outside in the cold. I I think this plays into Pittsburgh's hands, though. Like, Buffalo wants to throw the ball around. And it's going to be It's going to be hard to do that if it's winds gusting at 50 miles an hour. I don't care how strong of an arm you have. At 50 mile an hour gusts and 25 mile an hour sustained winds, 
that affects things when you're playing in that kind Especially of condition. Especially Josh Allen. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I think this affects it in a huge way. I don't think it affects who wins. I still think the Bills are good enough and so much better than the Steelers. If the Bills were playing somebody else, like if the Bills played the AFC equivalent, like if the Bills played the Browns this weekend, I would take the Browns potentially in that game because I think the Browns are better suited for that kind of a game. I also think it's why I'm feeling better about the Chiefs this week. I was going to say, we all agree, though, Miami is going to be impacted by the weather. Absolutely. I I do not think this plays into uh, the Miami Dolphins' hands at all. If it was like 30 degrees, not windy, a little something, that's fine. Whatever. It is what it is. They can play in that. Negative 12? (laughs) Negative 12 at kickoff? By the way, that's a night game? Nice. How do you no, stay sir. warm in that? You don't. Realistically. What do you mean, how do you stay warm? Well, like, you know, they got those, like, warm benches. Walk outside on Saturday during the day here in St. Louis. I'm and then think to yourself, to. six hours from now, what would it feel like if I was outside for the next hey, four you hours? You know what? Go outside when no, this game kicks to. off, run a couple routes, get warmed up, and see how you Look, feel. Look, man, I'm worried my pipes are going to freeze when it gets this cold. I don't need to be worrying about if, like, my actual pipes are going to freeze. <laughs> I'll let you figure that one out, T-Bone. No, I like it. That was good. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service. Exxon will get questions and answers here in just a little bit. But let's get into a couple more things for NFL quick hitters. Guys, is it fair to say at this point that Kenny Pickett is no longer the answer at quarterback for the Steelers? They're going to start Mason Rudolph this weekend. They announced that yesterday. Kenny Pickett is allegedly healthy, and they're starting somebody else over him in a playoff game. Wasn't he healthy last week and yeah. they chose not to play that him? That signifies that they're done with yeah. Kenny Pickett, right? Yeah, it's done Can with we all Ken- agree on that? Yeah. I mean, I was done with Kenny Pickett coming into the season. I didn't think he was that good of a quarterback, but there was still hope. And like when Mason Rudolph goes out there and outplays you, just like when Joe Flacco goes out and outplays Deshaun Watson, it's very clear we got a we got a quarterback problem. We're going to have to figure this out at the end of the season, but we might as well keep running it like we have it now. Yeah, I, I think there's no question that they don't have a starting quarterback going into next year. Like, they can't run it with Mason Rudolph. Look, he's kind of like what Josh Dobbs was to where, like, you can get, like, three good games and feel confident about it, but you don't want him there starting 17 games in a season. And I think that's where they're at. Kenny Pickett, clearly not the answer. He has not taken the steps forwards like I thought he was going to this year. They're going to be in the hunt for a quarterback. They're going to join the quarterback carousel again this offseason. Yeah, I'm totally with you guys. I... If Justin Fields becomes available, that's who they need to go after. Be a good spot. Uh, speaking of Justin Fields, his Bears announced earlier today they're basically eliminating the entire staff other than the head coach. Matt uh, Eberflus is going to be back next year, according to Adam Schefter, but they fired their offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach. What do you think about Eberflus returning, and what do you think this means, if anything, for Justin Fields? Alex? I mean, to me, it would signify that if the head coach is going to remain in place, the quarterback's going to remain in place. I mean, unless I just don't understand this at all, because like when I fire the head coach, I'm changing everything, which means I'm going to go out there and bring in a brand new quarterback. Uh, but if you keep Eberflus and you saw the success that Justin Fields had this season, you're going to go out there and find better coordinators that can complement what you already have and what you can build through this draft. So I think Justin Fields has got one more year with the team. I think so too. I I think they're going to stick with Justin Fields because I I agree with Alex. I think if you were going to draft Caleb Williams, you just fire Eberflus and you bring in an offensive mind and pair him with Caleb Williams. Like you, I think you then go all in on like Ben Johnson, for example, right? and you bring him in, you bring in an offensive mind and play him with Caleb Williams. I think now it's just, Hey, we're clean in staff. Let's see if we can find that offensive coordinator, which has been a tough hire for Matt Eberflus. Get him. I, I loved what Eberflus did with the defense. I thought he was excellent with the defense this year. Yeah. I'd almost let him just call the plays defensively. Apparently they don't want that. 
Yeah, which I, is odd because he was really good at it. Like once their they, defense was awesome the second half of the yeah, season. Yeah, once he took over play calling, they were really good defensively. Um, I, I think it's a sign that you stick with Justin Fields because I, I would fire Eberflus if you're going to draft a new quarterback. Would you? Yeah, I would. Because I, I would want an offensive mind working with him. I, sure. I would want like the Mike McDaniel to uh, um, try to think of the other yeah, one. I Mike McCarthy working with Dak. Like, I would have thrown everything at Ben Johnson yeah, if I, I was going that route. That's what I would have done too. And I think Eberflus did a great job this year. The fact that that team ended up playing really well down the stretch i think that's a what saved his job but b i think would have definitely had him in a high prominent defensive coordinator role if he did get fired yeah i probably would have fired eberflus because of the candidates that are available this offseason like in a vacuum I, I think he did enough to to keep his job but given the facts that harbaugh is out there belichick is out there uh ben johnson is out there like you've, you've got some really high level candidates this cycle specifically and that should be a pretty good job get the number one overall pick or justin fields i'd let my head coach kind of decide hey what do you prefer here and so you should be able to attract a pretty damn good candidate to that job that would have been why i moved on i don't know that this means anything for justin fields though i still think they take a quarterback number one i think they trade it for washington i think they trade it with washington and take harrison second overall maybe i i still don't think that would be the worst idea honestly but if I'm them, I'm finding the best offensive coordinator that can work with Caleb Williams. And let's see what it looks like with it, Matt Eberflus if I'm just, coach. If I'm Chicago, and I truly believe in Justin Fields, look at the haul you just got for a team to get the first round pick, or first overall pick, and you still got the first overall pick again. Man, see if you catch lightning in a bottle twice. Don't test fate. If you get the, like the, the football gods just gave you an opportunity here, and they said, hey, got a chance to be able to take this right now this is your shot i think you got to swing for the fences here and the swing for the fences is probably caleb williams i i don't know if it's going to work or not i feel like caleb williams reset the clock i feel like you hope caleb williams becomes justin fields i feel like you hope caleb williams becomes patrick mahomes do and you really I, think that's going to happen though like a 10 percent chance but there's a zero percent chance of that with justin fields yeah but what's justin the percentage fields? chance of you being a winning team moving forward if you take marvin harrison jr and keep justin fields with a better coordinator what, are we trying to win or are we trying to win a super bowl so I think those are two different answers. The winning team, I think you can become that. I think you could win the division next year with Justin Fields and Marvin Harrison Jr. Can you win a Super Bowl at any point with those guys in place? I, I don't know. I, I like Justin Fields a lot. I I personally have been a backer of Fields since the time when he was entering the draft. You guys remember, I couldn't believe that the Broncos passed up on him. I thought that it was ridiculous. They said afterwards, it's easier to find a quarterback than a corner. How's that aging? Um but yeah, not great, actually. I, I would probably make the change, honestly. I, I think that it's just too big of an opportunity to pass up. I, I would, too, because I, I, like, I just like the idea of resetting the clock. And I know not, not always is the grass greener on the other side, but has the grass been very green with Justin Fields? Yeah, like, but man, I, that that really game against Green Bay really opened my eyes up. Okay, there's one step forward and two steps back seemingly every time with Fields and I like him a lot I think if he goes to the Falcons I think he can be successful there do I think the Falcons can win a Super Bowl with him as as the quarterback though no I think he's a stopgap I think he's a guy that you start and he wins you nine eight nine ten games you're competitive you like what you have here but you're always looking for the next guy that can win you the Super Bowl you, he's your coach, you better be right because if you don't you're then gonna you get fired but the same thing happens if you if yeah you but it's not just you get, wrong with Justin if you Fields. not get fired you're also going to go down a path that the Carolina Panthers might be headed down now where you're like now we got a quarterback and we don't know what to do but you're not because if you fail with just or with the quarterback that you draft at number one and you're bad you still have your picks what the difference is between where the Bears are now and what the Panthers did, the Panthers spent every asset they had available to them to get to number one. The Bears aren't doing that. 
the Bears have a surplus of assets, in fact. They could even, like, they could take a quarterback number one, trade their other top ten pick for a future first, and still have future assets available to them. So they're in a very different place than where the, the Panthers were at. I think it's almost the opposite type of a situation. Uh, I don't, there, there's really not a comparable spot because of how yeah. lucky they were that they got the number one overall pick in last year's draft by trading down. All right, coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for question and answers from the 636. Guys, we just talked about Caleb Williams a bit. What makes you think that he's anywhere near Patrick Mahomes? You are a stop. Or you are a fanboy. You can't dork. say that out loud. Did he call you a dork? Mm-hmm. Man, that's a good one. Let I me th- tell you, dork is a, is a word that needs to be used more often. Underutilized. Yeah. And what was the... Uh, I, Marshy might have used dork for somebody on Twitter. And let me tell you, when I saw him tweet that the guy was a dork. Was it like, <laughs> it it was. Whoever it was, Marshy tweeted at him and called him a dork. And I'm like, God bless you, Marshy. Uh, I don't think Caleb Williams is anywhere near Patrick Mahomes. You got to listen dork. clearly, guys. Open up your ears. What I say, what you hear. Those are two different things sometimes. He's right, though. Oh, okay. Touché. I said there's like a 10% chance that Caleb Williams becomes something similar to Patrick Mahomes. I think that's about right. Dork. Like, of the time, he is not Patrick Mahomes. But that 10% outcome, Patrick Mahomes, the odds were heavily against him becoming what he is. But they took a chance. They saw something special with his film in college. They put him with an all-time great offensive mind. They put fantastic talent around him. And what you see is one of the best starts to an NFL career in the history of football. So... Do I think that is likely to happen specifically with Caleb Williams and specifically in the situation that exists in Chicago? No. Do I think you got to try? Yeah. And I think he's the guy that has the highest ceiling within this draft class. I like Jaden Daniels a lot, by the way. I saw somebody in NFL Insider said today that they expect, not believe, expect Jaden Daniels to go in the top five. I think that is the dude that's going to be highly underrated going into this draft. Is he the CJ Stroud? I don't know what he is. I think he can be like Kyler. I think he's Lamar in terms of what he can be at the NFL level. And if he's that, I mean, that's a multi-time MVP potentially. So somebody's getting a potential steal. This this quarterback class is awesome. Um, But all that being said, yeah, I think Caleb Williams has a chance to be really special. I I don't know what the odds are that he hits it, though. And I do wonder about his personality and how that that meshes into an NFL locker room. Because his his personality reminds me a little of Kyler. Where I saw Kyler, not this year, I think Kyler did a very good job was better this year on the field and what we saw personality-wise on the field. But early on, when he was with Cliff Kingsbury, he'd, like, go to the sideline. You could tell he was pouting about play calling. You could tell he was upset with guys. Like, that's a thing where I see Caleb Williams, and I think you saw some of that, especially this year where they started to lose, where he'd, like, go to the sideline. He'd just be chilling. He's got his arms up. You know, hey, it's fine. We we can't get a stop. We're struggling offensively. Who cares? I got my arms up. I'm the number one. I'm going to the NFL, and I'm getting paid. That's the way it 
portrayed itself to the camera. And that's the thing that I'll question at the NFL level. From the 618, guys, do you think it takes a Hall of Fame quarterback in order to win a Super Bowl? I, I don't. No, no. Joe Flacco I won think it a Super just Bowl. becomes really hard to sustain the winning. You can win a one-off. You're right. Joe Flacco did it. He might be a Hall of Famer if he does it again this year. Uh, Eli Manning did it. He shouldn't be a Hall of Famer, but he's going to be because he accomplished such a feat. Um, Trent Dilfer. Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl and was a couple of throws away from winning a Super Patrick Bowl. Patrick Mahomes did it. Yeah. Come on, man. Um, we, we saw Nick Foles win a Super Bowl five years ago. This year is going to be a great test case for this, by the way. I think there's a lot of teams around. I don't think Brock Purdy is a Hall of Famer. He probably is the favorite right That's now. That's a fun question. How many Hall of Famer quarterbacks do you think are in the playoffs right now? One? Uh, Mahomes is for sure. I don't think Lamar Josh is. Allen probably will. L- Lamar might need a Super Bowl. Dak is an interesting case. He's kind of Stafford-ish in his yeah. case where he's going to put up numbers that by the end you're like, is he a Hall of Famer? But if it Stafford, really comes down to Stafford del- wins again. I think Stafford is a Hall of Famer. Because of a Super Bowl. If Dak gets there and wins one, he'll probably eventually get in. Um, and then it becomes like Jalen Hurts. What do we see the rest of his career? As of today, he's not on that trajectory, I don't think. But yeah, so like four. Okay. In the current That's playoffs. Pretty good. L- Lamar. Lamar will be a Hall of Famer. Multi-time MVP. He needs to have some more playoff success, but two MVPs probably gets you in. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I think you're probably right. That probably is the four. I can't think of Tua. anybody. Mason Rudolph, we can say no. <laughs> Tua. Tua. Tua can't win against good teams. What are you talking about? That's why about? I'm upset with myself that I ended up with a best ball team of the Dolphins. Oh, well, that was just you, you dork. <laughs> All right, final thing here. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort <laughs> Service X line. Actually, let's end with that. Coming up next, yeah! how does Pavel Buchnevich play into this team's plans? Alex's opinion of this might surprise you. We'll get into it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. All right, so the Blues have a big decision coming up and it's going to take place this offseason, but it might be moved up to the trade deadline, honestly, Alex. And it revolves around Pavel Buchnevich. Now, Pavel Buchnevich is entering next year into the final year of his contract. What that means is the Blues will be able to negotiate an extension with him starting this offseason. They have to decide within the next few months, though, Alex, if they're going to do that. And the contract extension, I would guess, will start with an eight. I don't know where it gets from there, but if I'm Pavel Buchnevich, I'm not taking less than what you have already given to two guys that were less proven than me and Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo when they received their extension. Now, maybe his would be for fewer years. Maybe instead of an eight by eight, it would be like a six by eight or something because he's older than those two players were. But if Booch hits the open market, he'll get $8 million from somebody. This is a guy that's an all-around player, plays on the PK, plays on the power play. He's like the only thing that's been good about your power play so far this year and has been really good at five on five. By the way, defensively, your best forward, arguably, maybe second best, depending on how you feel about Robert Thomas. He's an excellent hockey player, but the Blues have already committed $8 million to both Thomas and Kairou. Now, let me say this on the front end. Let's assume the Blues are keeping Kairou. I know some of you, that's going to be the first text that you send in to the Air Comfort Service text line at 314-399-9646. I get it. I don't blame you for it. I understand the argument of moving on from Kairou over moving on from Bubichnevich. But let's say they're committed to Kairou for this discussion, Alex. What do you do with Pavel Bubichnevich? I I don't know, but 
if I'm Doug Armstrong right now, which I'm not, I'm dumber than him, and I can admit that, I I look at Pavel Buchnevich and I say, do we really want to commit eight-plus million dollars to him? And I know that sounds like a crazy statement to make, but last night I'm watching that game, and, and look, the, the rebuttal for... Anybody that uh, what I'm about to say, and I understand the rebuttal is, yeah, but look at how they've been eliminating the other team's top lines. And I agree 100 percent that deserves that type of money when you've got that player. But you're also going to have to back it up with points. And if I'm committing eight million dollars to my top three players, that's twenty four million dollars to those three guys that are going to be playing 20 plus 20 plus minutes a night. And Pavel Buchnevich has not scored a goal since December 21st against the Florida Panthers. In his last 10 games, he's got two goals. And for $8 million, I I need a point-per-game player. I need a difference maker. I need somebody on the ice that when he steps on there, I'm thinking game's going to turn around right now. And Buchnevich has been that. This season, my eyes are starting to get a little bit more open to it, saying like, man, if he can't get that level for you and you're going to pay him $8 million, you better be damn sure that you got all the scoring beyond that because even if it's a clean wash with that top line, which is a great thing to have, if you don't have the secondary scoring, you're going to have to rely on that. And I'm looking at guys, according to Cap Friendly, that make north of $8 million. And I'm looking at guys that almost every season are a point-per-game player and either picking up 50-plus assists or 30-plus goals. And if I'm going to commit $8 million to him on top of $8 million to Jordan Cairo. That's $16 million that I'm not sure if they're top-line players or second-line players. And that might be a – that's a tight bind to get in if you're Doug Armstrong. So I, I, I'm with you, and the reason why is because of what we looked up this morning. So I wanted to find out how many teams have three players, three forwards specifically, that are making at least $8 million per year because that does change the way that you can build your roster accordingly. Now, the cap is expected to rise, and that's going to allow for a little more flexibility, and so maybe an $8 million player three years from now is like a $6 million player today, right, in terms of the percentage of the cap. That's possible. But it's really hard when you have guys on your blue line, three of them, that are making $6 million a year, and then potentially three forwards that are making $8 million a year. It it restricts what you're able to do around them. The only teams, Alex, right now that have three forwards at $8 million or more per year are Toronto. They have four at $10 million or more per year. Tampa Bay, they have three at at least $8.5 million per year. And then I'm going to include Dallas because they have four guys that are making at least $7.75 million per season. And side note, if you were to ask Dallas, I think they'd like to get out of at least one of those contracts. So those are the teams that we're talking about. Now, it's worth noting, those three teams are good. Like, we're talking about teams that have been able to sustain winning. Toronto obviously hasn't done it at the highest of levels in the postseason, but Tampa has. And Dallas is a team that right now we all view as maybe the team to beat in the Central Division. So, good teams, they've made it work. Are the Blues players at the level of those guys, though? Tampa's guys are elite. Like, future Hall of Fame level elite. Toronto's guys, same thing. Not just elite. They might be future Hall of Famers. Dallas's guys, at least a couple of them, kind of in that category as well. They're a little bit below what you have in Toronto and Tampa Bay. Do the Blues players rise to that level, in your opinion, Alex? Are they good enough to say, okay, we're building around, instead of the core four, the core three here in St. Louis, the way that Toronto, Dallas, and Tampa Bay do? No, I don't think they do. I think I think you're at a point right now where Blues fans are 
are impatiently waiting for Jimmy Snuggerud because they're thinking he brings offense. And that's not a good thing to do. What you should be doing is seeing the success from that top line and thinking, damn, this team's going to be even more dangerous when they get a Jimmy Snuggerud. And right now, we talked about, like, when Snuggerud gets out of college, you put him on the top line and hope he starts scoring goals. And again, I, I understand the rebuttal of, well, they're they're shutting down the other team's top lines. Right. And I think that's very important to have. But like you mentioned Toronto. Toronto might be terrible defensively, but you know what they're going to do? They're going to outscore the hell out of you. Colorado, when they have Rantanen and Landeskog and McKinnon on the ice, they're not only going to shut you down because of Corsi rating and holding on to the puck, but they're going to outscore you. I'll even take a look at what the LA Kings are doing right now. Like you're paying $8 million, a plus million dollars to Ajay Kopitar. But the guys that are playing on that top line with him are contributing to a level that it's like, damn, this is a dangerous line to have. I'm not sure other than that, that's that small sample size. When Drew Bannister took over that small sample size where we said, wow, this is a dangerous line to play with, which by the way, when they, when Bannister took over, in four games, five games, I'll give it to them, they put together, at least Pavel Buchnevich that I'm looking at right now, you put seven points together in five games. But then in the last six, he's got one point. That's the difference to me. I don't think you can have three guys for $8 million that are streaky. you got to have consistency from at least two of those three million, or three players at that level. The Toronto guys, for what it's worth, Austin Matthews this year in 37 games has 31 goals and 46 points. Uh, and Mitch, is a plus nine, by the way. Mitch Marner has 44 points in 38 games and is a consistent Selkie Trophy nominee every single season. Uh, William Nylander, who they just paid $11 million to, has 21 goals and 57 points in 38 games so far this year. That's just a different level. It's a different level of production that they're getting from those guys. It's like the quarterback competi- com- uh, conversation in the NFL. You can pay your quarterback and still win. But your quarterback better be able to compete with the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, etc. Otherwise, now you're paying your quarterback similar money to those guys and limiting what you can do around them. And they've got to be able to make up and prop up their team the way that those elite Hall of Fame level quarterbacks do across the league. If they can't, then it's better to start the cycle over, get a guy in on a rookie contract and try it all over. again. And the hard part with that is like, yeah, you hear those names and you're thinking, yeah, but those guys are the best of the best. And you're not getting those guys unless you draft top five. But like, correct. But you can you can supplement your roster elsewhere. It's not about one for one. It's about, okay. if I don't have Pavel Buchnevich, what can I get for him? And then what could I use with the eight million dollars to supplement my roster? But what I mean is like put it into a comp that's a little bit more understandable for like the Buchnevich comp like Dylan Larkin right now is a point per game player and he's making eight point seven million dollars. Philip Forsberg, who's making eight point five million dollars, has 21 goals and 45 points in 41 games. Like that's the level of contribution that you'd want if you're paying that type of money. What you don't want to get into. And I I don't think this is the same player because Buchnevich is a better player. But Pierre-Luc Dubois was making eight point five million dollars for the Kings. He has 16 points in 37 games, and he's playing 15 minutes a night. That's a second-line player making top-line money. And it screws you. Once you're locked in, because you're going to probably have to give a no-trade clause here. You're giving the $8 million. Might even need a no-move. All of these guys, by the way, at 8-plus. I would say 90% of this list of 8-plus million on forwards have no movement clauses. And that's something that they're just not going to budge on. We saw that if you're not giving it to Petro, you're just not doing it. Yeah. You can't give it to uh, Buchnevich after not giving it to Alex Petrangelo. So, uh, in my opinion, I, I think the move is clear. I hate it because Buchnevich is my favorite player on this Blues team. 
But I think the answer, because of the context of their situation, is probably to trade him. And if you're going to do that, I think you do it at the deadline, not the offseason. You get a bigger haul. Get an extra year. One and a half years. If you're a contender, I get an extra year on that cheap contract. Look at what Timo Meyer got with no years of control beyond the season. He was a unrestricted free agent. And then think what a guy close to that level would make with a year and a half of control. Mike Farron said on MLB Network Radio the other day that he doesn't like the fact that the Cardinals are, quote, crying poor. We're going to ask him to expand on that comment. What does he think of what the Cardinals have done so far this offseason? Mike Farron of MLB Network Radio next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Mike Farron hosts a show over on MLB Network Radio. I think he's one of the best in the business. And the other day, Alex, as T-Bone was driving into work, he said, hey, guys, I just heard Mike Farron talking about the Cardinals and how they're crying poor about their payroll situation. So I said, T-Bone, reach out to Mike Farron. I would Hell love yes. to talk to him about that. And Mike joins us now via the 101 ESPN hotline. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? I'm good. So I got to share this with you. This is the completely off topic, Please. but it's so weird. I'm out for a walk right now. It's a beautiful day in Phoenix. A little cold, but I'm go not going to complain because you guys are dealing go with work. straight to hell. Do Boo-hoo, not pass guys. Do not collect $200. degrees and sunny. Yeah. Boo-hoo, Mike. Are you, I don't know how old you guys are, but like if you're in your mid-40s or older, you undoubtedly remember those permanent markers that we used to have in class that had like kind of a turpentine paint thinner smell. My entire neighborhood smells like that right now. (laughs) Oh, man, that's a great smell. It's really weird for this interview. Mike, Mike, you should open up your windows at your house and start letting that guy get a little arrogant in your house. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. It's like I wonder if they would made a cologne of that smell. I think I would wear it. That's a good question. What would it, do you remember the uh, the scented permanent markers that I don't know that they make those anymore? Oh, yeah. Probably not nowadays. because kids in class would have permanent marker noses because they were sniffing them all the time. Yeah, they, they oh were, yeah, yeah. That, that ditto machines. Do you remember ditto machines <laughs> oh, where the, like yeah. everything would come off purple and the smell from that? Yeah, it's amazing that we made it out of grade school alive. Yeah. When, when we called Mike Farron, this is not the way that no. I expected the conversation to go, no, but, but I, I appreciate I, it nonetheless. I share it with you because, like, I figured somebody would appreciate this. It's just like this literally just happened. It's so weird. Mike, the, the line from Tommy Boy never hits home better than right now. Did you eat paint chips when you were a kid? No. Why? Yes. <laughs> All right. No, I did. Tommy Boy had an excuse. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about these Cardinals. Uh, they have been eminently yeah. frustrating here in St. Louis. I'm not going to lie to you because, like, I I like the signing of Sonny Gray. I liked signing one of Lance Lynn or Kyle Gibson. I like what they're doing in the bullpen. I think they've got a pretty good lineup constructed. But you told us this. I want to say it was two years ago, around this time, where you said, "Hey." The Cardinals always get right up to that line, and then they take two steps back and say, you know what, actually, we're good. We're not going to jump over. We don't want to make that one last move that would put us over the top. It feels like they're doing that again this offseason. Is that how you feel, or are we on an island over here? No, I, th- I think it's it's similar. I mean, I think there are a couple things at play here, right? So this is not the best free agent market that we've seen although it is fairly deep in starting pitching and the Cardinals do deserve credit for signing three starting pitchers. I mean, they said they needed three 
they got three. If they really are still engaged to some degree in the trade talks for Dylan Cease, that would certainly change the complexion of the way this winner looks for the Cardinals, right? Like if Dylan Cease showed up, it'd be like, okay, now we've got that bat misser. We can control for a couple of years. Maybe we're able to extend him or sign him as a free agent. Um, when he gets to free agency, like that would change the equation some. But it does feel a little bit like that. I get where they're coming from in that they're trying to, at least with the signings of Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn, who, as an aside, are two of my favorite people in baseball. I love those guys. They have tried to find a better baseline to make sure that they have innings and that they're not going to be in a deficit. And with Sonny Gray, he does upgrade the front part of the rotation. And they did that work really quickly this winter. They got it done. They got it finished. But there isn't that move that's happened that makes you feel like, yeah, this is not just a team that can win the Central, but it's one of the best teams in the league. And I get that some of that has to come from internal improvements from some of their young players, like Jordan Walker being an impact hitter, um, you know, for the course of a full season could help that. Arenado, Goldschmidt having better years than they did last year, which I think is possible. I mean, Derek Gould had a great piece on Goldsmith the other day. Like, those are things that can certainly happen. But just in terms of the external additions right now, it feels like they're a little light. And, and we're talking about them being one of the teams that can win the Central hmm. instead of one of the teams that's a force who would be among the favorites for the World Series. So so we were holding out hope for as long as possible, Mike, that the Cardinals were still in those Dylan Cease conversations or potentially looking at upgrading still that rotation. And then we saw Bill DeWitt III's comments, and I know you saw them as well. What were yeah. your thoughts when you read those? Well, I mean, I don't think that, that would take you out of the Cease negotiations, just to, to be clear. Like, I don't think that that necessarily would. There, there's been no movement on that, right? So if you're still engaged... And certainly the Cardinals would seem to have the position player depth that the White Sox desperately need, that there could be a fit there. But when I saw DeWitt's comments, you know, like, I, listen, some of it is the, the regional sports network issue is a, is a significant factor. And I think if you're looking at it from ownership's standpoint, it's not just the revenue that you're going to be losing from these lucrative television deals, it's the uncertainty, right? You're trying to plan for a rainy day. So I get where he's coming from there. But at the same time, we're not talking about a team that, that operates or should operate like they're in the 20-something market, right? The Cardinals, are, the Cardinals draw a lot of benefits that other teams with, with lesser revenues get. Because of their market size, right? They almost always get an extra draft pick. They're, they're counted in that group. They're a big, a fairly big revenue team because the Cardinals fan base is so huge. And so, and, but, and what I mean is that they're probably more middle of the pack in revenue. They're not like one of the top five teams right. in that. But they, they, come, they punch above their weight in terms of the money they make because there's, it's one of the biggest fan bases. It's one of the most loyal fan bases. And it's one of the fan bases that's willing to spend the most money. And when you're investing in real estate and you're investing in um, other avenues or you're concerned about where every last dollar is coming in, that shouldn't sit well with a fan base. And I think even if you were to ask, I think the DeWitts tend to be pretty honest about that. I'm sure that, that if you ask Bill DeWitt III, he'd say, no, I don't think my comments probably should sit well with Cardinals fans, but it's the reality of the situation in his mind. And I think that's the part that's really frustrating is that I feel like that this is a, a team and an organization that shouldn't be, especially with the Cubs not 
ever really expressing their financial might or what they should have in that market as by far the biggest team in that division, that the Cardinals have not fully captured the opportunities that are there for them because they have not been willing to spend beyond their means or maybe even up to their means. And that's what I think a lot of Cardinals fans would, would bring up, especially going into this offseason. And Mike, I'm curious your thoughts on this because, I mean, none of us know what's going to happen with these TV rights deals. And it's it's the big question that looms over on the edge and people are going to go over that. We, we don't know. We, we don't know what it's going to be. Right. I, I would think that the Cardinals, if it goes in a certain way, would be one of the teams that would stand to actually potentially benefit the most from going towards more of a streaming option where now they can bring in the fans beyond just this market and they can get Cardinals fans. They call it Cardinal nation for a reason, right? Like Iowa pulls in fans that are fans of this team, but they can't get Bally sports Midwest on their direct TV package right now. Wouldn't that potentially stand to benefit a team like the Cardinals, the Braves, et cetera, that have more of the national fan bases? Yeah, so I think, I mean, one, if you're living outside whatever the television footprint is, you already have access to Cardinals games on TV, right, or on radio through uh, MLB.com or the MLB app or um, you know, on radio on the SiriusXM app. I might want to plug that. Um, <laughs> there are different ways for you to be able to, to get those broadcasts, right? It's If you are in the team's home territory, that that's where those blackout restrictions come into play. And as somebody whose family is from Iowa and who spent a lot of time in Eastern Iowa, I am especially, um, especially sensitive to the issues that fans there have where they are blacked out from seven teams. It's not just the Cardinals. It's like the twins, both Chicago teams, some areas of Kansas city, right? Like it's Milwaukee. Like there's a lot of teams that you don't have access to. And so I think you're right in the sense that it gives more of an opportunity for fans to be able to buy in. But the other part, and I think this comes from the ownership and the league standpoint is, okay, well, how much of that revenue are you going to make back? So let's, let's use some of the examples that we have, right? So the Padres last year had their rights turned back over to them as part of the Bally's bankruptcy. This happened in the middle of the year, right? Like literally in the middle of the series, but I think they were playing in Miami. And so they opened up in-market streaming. By the end of the season, they had 18,000 online subscribers. That's what the commissioner said. 18,000 isn't really that big a number, right? Especially if you're charging them $80 a year for it, which is what they did. You can do the math. It's not nearly as much as what you'd be losing. And in their case, was probably a $60 million deal that they only got half of, right? So... So there are some issues there. There are going to be some ramp-up issues as more people move towards streaming. And I think the other part is that, like, one of the things we're learning is as great as a la carte programming sounds, where you can just pick and choose what you want and which apps you want to buy or, you know, like if you want to subscribe to Peacock so you can see the Chiefs this weekend, right, like that kind of stuff, that, that what really was advantageous for customers in a lot of respects was the bundle. The problem is that the bundle, you end up paying for stuff that you don't want. And that's where the sports channels come in. So you're in this weird balancing act while the the industry kind of figures it out. And I think that's part of the reason why the commissioner has talked about this being short-term revenue losses for teams, not long-term. Because I think it will get figured out over the course of the next several years. 
But if you're the Cardinals and you're operating an organization that has hundreds of millions of dollars worth of expenses over the course of the year, those numbers are pretty big. And when you take, let's say, let's say they got it next year for, and I'm not, I'm not making, throwing this number out like it's made up. This is from talking to people. Let's say it ends up being like 70% of what they were getting. Well, 70% of $50 million is a lot of money, but it's also what, like 15 million bucks that you're not getting. And that would be a little bit of a concern too, is that how are you going to replace that revenue? And so that's where the challenge is coming for teams and owners in this who know that the sport is doing really well financially overall, that that fans came back in a big way last year, that they had these popular changes, but also the revenue streams are going to be changing. And listen, you, you guys, I mean, we work in media, right? We're fighting this every day in trying to see how the landscape is going to change and it affects our careers. Well, it affects theirs as well. So yes, I feel like they can be spending above their means, but I certainly, I, I don't want to seem like I'm not empathetic to some of the challenges they have. I'm probably less empathetic towards billionaires than I am to <laughs> normal people. <laughs> but but I do think that there are some very real real issues that every team is having to face with this. Yeah, and like to be fair, I think at least the three of us in this room, I don't know if I could speak for Cardinals fans entirely, but I, I don't necessarily have an issue with what the Cardinals are spending right now. My frustration right. is less about the actual payroll and more about their lack of aggression to get that one final piece. You mentioned it, Mike. Like, right. if this team were to go out and trade today for uh, Dylan Cease or Framber Valdez <laughs> or Jesus Luzardo or Logan Gilbert, whoever that front end starter is, the name doesn't even matter all that much. Just one of those kinds of right. guys. I, I don't care if he makes seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars next year or thirty million dollars next year. They're just missing that player. And the thing that's frustrating is they seem to try to thread the needle so tight that they are hugging their prospects while also saying they can't give up any more money. And so now what you end up with is a team that's kind of stuck in the middle and has been now for the last, you know, seven years or so. Yeah. And I think it's a I think it's a really valid point. And I think if you look at what they have done in free agency when they have splurged, it's been moves that have looked questionable at the time. You know, I remember John Mazalock talking a lot about, hey, you know, we're, we're going to have to get outside our comfort zone to sign a free agent. And then the first free agent they signed was Dexter Fowler, who was a nice player, but was clearly on the downswing of his career, right? I mean, we saw it with Brett Cecil and Stephen Matz, even to some degree. You know, Matz, by the way, Matz is the youngest starter in the Cardinals' projected rotation. He's 32, yeah. or going to be 32. You know, that's something that's, that's a separate conversation. But, like, there are some of those things where it feels like, man, they just kind of have not quite clicked in that regard. Now, at the same time, they've managed to do a really good job of acquiring, and I hate to use this term because it doesn't necessarily apply to the player, it applies to their contracts, but distressed assets, right? So acquiring Arenado for like nothing, right? You're getting an absolute superstar at third base. Acquiring Goldschmidt when they did, you know, knowing that there was a year before free agency and they felt like they had a pretty good chance to re-sign him. They deserve to be lauded for those moves. Um, and, and listen, you're talking about two of the biggest stars in the game that they have gone out and acquired, and that's significant. But it does feel like at times, whether it's via trade or via free agency, they haven't necessarily identified that next level of player, the non-established star, which are very difficult to trade for, or the ones that make you extend just a little bit further 
to help stabilize the rotation. And maybe they, they, they're gun shy after the David Price stuff, you know, which is now going on, what, seven years ago where they had yeah. a big offer for him and he didn't sign. He went to Boston instead. Maybe there, there could be any number of reasons for why that's happening that we're not privy to, but it always feels like part of it is, hey, we're in the central. It's going to be okay. Mike, we'll get you out of here on this. And by the way, we're talking to Mike Farron, baseball broadcaster for MLB Network Radio. I, I mentioned there's a bunch of different starters that have at least been rumored. I, I don't know how many of them are actually available yeah. uh, that are front-end guys that could be on the move via the trade. If you could identify one guy for the Cardinals that you think either fits the best or would just be the most interesting here, who would it be for you? Who would you like to see uh, them trade for this offseason? You know, I really think that there's two guys that we can identify that have control left that I think are interesting. And, and we've mentioned both of them and Dylan Cease and Jesus Lazardo. Um, you know, Cease is, is going to cost a lot, right? And Lazardo should as well. But Cease has a longer track record of success, longer track record of health. Um, I know his ERA looks high last year, but if you start boiling down into some of the peripherals, if you use fielding independent pitching, which is a better year-to-year predictor of ERA than ERA is, it actually was in line with his Cy Young runner-up season from 22 uh, last year. So, like, Cease is an impact guy at the front. There is something to be said about going after a young left-hander who you control for three more seasons in Lazardo, though. And we haven't really heard them link to that. But the Cardinals and Rays have a long history of doing deals. Peter Bendix, who's the new head of baseball operations for the Marlins, came from the Rays. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that's quietly being discussed because Lozardo absolutely fits with what they need. And again, much like the White Sox, the issue that the Marlins have is that they are really thin in position players and they need them badly. And the Cardinals probably have a better chance to be able to build a package that could help their major league roster right now and give them a little bit more depth if you were looking further down to some of the, the arms that maybe didn't have great 23s that had been really good in 22. I think there are some options that are there that makes it an intriguing matchup, even though we haven't seen the two linked. And I don't know if they will be, but you know, adding another starter wouldn't be a bad thing for them. It certainly would give them a little bit more certainty. And all that said, like if we were to line it up right now, they might be the favorites in the central as it is. You know what I mean? Like it's, the Cubs finally made a move. You know what I mean? Like, and unless they're going to add Belling, you know, two of Bellinger, Chabot, and Hoskins, I don't know. I mean, I look at that rotation, and I don't see it being better than the Cardinals' rotation right now. Like, Justin feels pretty good, but, like, Jameson Tyon had a really rough first half last year. Like, they're going to count on a rookie probably in the fifth spot. Um, you know, Kyle Hendricks is Kyle Hendricks. He's fine. He's good. Solid. He's had a great career. Just watch but him against the I Cardinals, Mike. Cy Young candidacy every single time. I mean, listen, listen, listen. Off-speed kills, right? So, like, <laughs> I mean, he's he's really a fascinating pitcher, too. So, like, I, I mean, I think they're okay, but it doesn't feel like they have the oomph that the Cardinals do. The Brewers without Brandon Woodruff and really without a first baseman probably are not quite as good. Cincinnati is really interesting. Pittsburgh is going to be better, but – I don't know that they like they could probably go to the mat and say and and reasonably say, yeah, we're the best team in the division. The way we're constructed now, we'll save our powder for the deadline. And listen, we just saw an 84 win team who was outscored over the course of the regular season win the pennant. That could be us. 
He's Mike Farron. Hear him on MLB Network Radio. It is well worth your time. I think he's one of the best in the business. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Farron. Always enjoy talking with him. I could talk with him for another hour and a half if we could, but we don't have that much time. Mike, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it as always. Be well, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate the kind words, and I'll send some markers your way. (laughs) Or at least the smell. smell good. That's Mike Farron here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him uh, when he gives us a little bit of time. All right, Alex, a lot to get to from that, specifically on the pitching side of things. He brought up Jesus Luzardo. I want to get into that. There's also a comment on the Cardinals from Jim Bowden that I want to pass your way. We'll get into all of that plenty more here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to Mike Farron for giving us his time here on 101 ESPN. Fantastic stuff from him. If you missed any of it, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, Mike seemed to have pretty much the same thoughts on the Cardinals as we do. We think they're better than most of the teams in the division, maybe all of the teams in the division right now, but they're still missing that front-end starter. And he brought up the names Dylan Cease and Jesus Luzardo as, hey, those would be two guys that he would target if the Cardinals were going out to the trade market. Well, just a little bit ago, Jim Bowden put out a new piece over on The Athletic saying something similar, saying, hey, I love the Sonny Gray signing, but I'm not so sure about the gambles on Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. The starters are pretty old. The Cardinals, quote, obviously need young starting pitching, and they'll have to find it in the trade market. They've done a good job of flushing out their outfield depth. The lineup is good enough to win the division. I'd like to see them add more, uh, one more young starter and two more viable setup relievers before seriously considering them as a legitimate contender, though, in the National League. I think we can set aside the reliever conversation. I don't think they're doing that. The starter side of things is what's interesting. Luzardo and Cease have similar values because Cease is more proven. Luzardo is more cost control, so you kind of even it out and they come out in the wash. They're both super valuable assets for their respective teams. He said something interesting Mike did, though, about the connection between the Cardinals and the Mariner, Marlins, rather, that I hadn't really considered. The Rays' former executive is now their president of baseball operations, and we know they also have Skip Schumacher, who knows this organization incredibly well, too. I don't think the Cardinals would be excited about trading really any of their players. They never are. But <laughs> if the Marlins came to them and said, hey, we need a package that is centered around Dylan Carlson, Brendan Donovan, and Alec Burleson. And then we can kind of figure out what to do from there. What do you think the Cardinals' reaction would be? Jesus Luzardo coming in return, really good, young pitcher. And in return, you're sending some package that starts with Carlson, Donovan, and Burleson. I mean, I don't know how the Cardinals would say no to that because it doesn't touch any of the pieces that they're afraid to move on from, meaning they're keeping Nolan Gorman. They're keeping some of these high leverage pitchers that you have in your system. And as much as we all love Brendan Donovan, do the Cardinals feel the same way? Last year, it felt like they did. But what about this year? Now that you got a Thomas J.C. in your system, Dylan Carlson seems to be an easy move on, at least from my perspective, if you're going to get a top pitcher. And Alec Burleson's the same conversation. Really comes down to how they feel about Brendan Donovan. And if it's me, I don't see what reason you would have to say, nope, can't do that. Because, yeah, you're giving up quantity and quality, but you're also getting a young, controllable top arm for your rotation. So, to me, your team's better. Cardinals, I'm not sure they feel that way. 
I, I don't know how the Cardinals would feel about it because the more I'm like standing here thinking about this kind of package, like don't get me wrong, I would trade Carlson. I would be open to trading Burleson. I'd be open to trading Donovan. Problem is when you start to combine all three of those guys into a package, all of a sudden the big league roster starts to become a little bit thinner because we're talking as much as, much as people don't really like talking about the fourth outfielder, Burleson as the left-handed bat off the bench, Donovan in the super utility role who's basically a starter, but he's not because he's bouncing all over the place on the infield. All of a sudden, this big league roster starts to become a little bit thin. Like, who's now the fourth outfielder? It's not Palacios. He's gone. I don't even know who the fourth. I, I genuinely have no idea who the fourth outfielder would be for the St. Louis Cardinals. In this scenario? Mm. they'd almost, It feels like they'd almost have to go back to the market to find somebody. Yeah, that's what I was about to look at. I think you're going back to the free agency market and, to, to be able to find somebody. I, I think you're probably going out to the free agency market to find somebody to either replace, and, and it might be the same guy, uh, Carlson, Donovan, or Burleson. Like, Burleson's the guy in this that I, I don't think you have an internal replacement for. The answer might be, like, for Carlson, it might be Victor Scott. And Maybe, for, but I don't think they want him as a fourth outfielder. I, but if he becomes the starting center fielder, Edmund kind of slides into that Exactly. Role. So you've got Carlson's replacement eventually, whether it's opening day or a year from now, is Victor Scott. Donovan's replacement opening day or eventually would be Thomas and JC. Different right-handed bat versus left-handed bat. Similar roles, though, on the roster. I don't think you have anybody that profiles to be Alec Burleson Moises on the Gomez. roster or down in the minor leagues right now poppy. with the left-handed pop that he could potentially provide for you, a guy that gets really good contact, all those different things. I, I don't think but that how often is that guy going to be playing? Like, uh, I mean, in now, all, this, but I, see, that's where like that's what the initial reaction will be. But that's an important piece. Like, as much as we don't talk about I get Alec it, but Burleson we're doing starting, what the Cardinals are doing. We're, but no, we're but trying I think to the Cardinals are right. Guys. I think the Cardinals are right. And hey, I remember Mo's comment of. Hey, you know why? I don't remember when this was. It's been a couple of years. It was under the Mike Schilt era where it was, hey, like this bench was bad. Why'd you not upgrade a bench? Well, it's hard to find guys externally to fill exactly. bench roles because they don't want to do it. Well, now you get these young, controllable guys. And Burleson, though it is, well, how much is he going to play? But I can't I don't worry care about how the bench if I don't get I, there. And I, the bench, like the bench doesn't matter if I don't get there because my my actual everyday roster is not good enough. The, th- the other thing is, like, could I go sign Eddie Rosario to a one year, $5 million deal? Because if I can, and I've got the money to do it, which is a question, yeah, that that would be the type of thing where can Eddie Rosario give me the production this season that Alec Burleson was going to give me? Probably something pretty similar. I, I think I would take Burleson one for one, and the upside of Burleson is obviously significantly higher. We know what Eddie Rosario is, but could I get something similar? Probably. And so you could go to the market, get him. That's your fourth outfielder slash DH from the left side. All right, cool. I could see how that ends up working out. Maybe a David Peralta, can he give you some kind of similar production to what you're getting from Burleson? Maybe. You are very thin. If you have any injuries at all, and these guys that I'm talking about with Victor Scott, Thomas and JC don't work out or aren't ready for the big league level, which is very possible, maybe even likely. Or if Mason Wynn just can't hit early on the season and you have to move Tommy Edmond to shortstop to replace him, you don't have a center fielder. Now you are where you were last year. Where, okay, Newpar. You're playing center for us, buddy. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> I don't love that idea either. So, like, I, but that's you also, why. I, but you know what I, I don't also love? The idea of Sonny Gray, Miles Michaelis, my one-two punch from start to finish. And this is where it gets and tough. And that's the bigger concern for me than worrying about if this guy goes down, how do I fill that spot? This is where it gets tough. It's where why they're between a rock and a hard place. Because you either have to spend, you've got to give up assets from your minor leagues, you give up assets from your major Like, somewhere you're going to be thin. And this is why I hated from the beginning the decision to sign both yep. Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. Because you know what would be really nice right now? $10 million to spend. It if this be. team had 10 to $15 million left over to spend, you could make your decision on the trade market and then pivot. 
If I need 10 to $15 million to replace the position players that I have now sent out the door, cool. I'll go get this year's version. It didn't work out, but this year's version of Corey Dickerson, where I'm paying $5 million for a bench bat. It doesn't always work out the way that it did with Corey Dickerson. Sometimes those end up working out really well. Matt Carpenter with the Yankees, for example, worked out pretty well. Get hurt, but was a productive player for them. And that's what the Cardinals would be hoping for, is you can catch lightning in a bottle with one of those types of players. But you don't have that flexibility right now because you felt the need to go out and get that third starter. I would rather be light on the third starter, the Same. fifth starter, really, in your rotation. Just give that opportunity to a massive, some kind of competition between Thompson and Liberator and Palante and Persefo and McGreevy and TK Roby and Tink Kent. Like, let all of those dudes battle it out in camp and let's see who comes out as the best going into opening day as the number five starter. I'm okay with being light in one spot. That's where they would have been had they not made that signing. And they might still be able to cover that by going out and making a trade for another starter. So that's where I get frustrated is that they could have had that flexibility. They can also build in that flexibility if they were willing to get super creative, which they typically don't do, and traded Steven Matz somewhere else to remove that money from the book. So there's still ways to make this thing work, but their inability... Their lack of flexibility right now is something that is really hurting them. Because I do agree with you, T-Bone. They they are light here. And Alex, I'm with you as well. Maybe the bigger concern is a lack of a front-end starter. But both of those things are oh, things yeah. that almost like you can't have one without the other. And for me, it's not like this lineup that they've got constructed. Like the, the nine that we figure are going to start on opening day right now. It's not like that group's been necessarily all that healthy. Gorman, bad back. Goldschmidt, bad back. Arnado, bad back. Uh, Lars Newbar spent a lot of time on the aisle in the last couple of years. So that's a, a concern for me. That's why I think if they're going to go get a starter, I, I think either A, they got to get creative and they're going to have to trade Matt's. You mentioned his name. You trade Matt's out to free up some money and then you go and get somebody else. You could even trade Matt's for a bench bat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you end up having to go with a more of a prospect-oriented package to go get somebody. And if that's the case, I think it probably is Cease. And that's why I think we did a segment last week. Is it Cease or is it Cease the only guy left on the board for the Cardinals to potentially go get? I think so, because I think Miami wants a lot of what you said. I think they would want a package kind of close to that, which is guys that can start at the big league level. Exactly. I'm too concerned about thinning out the big leagues. I understand what you're saying. My concern, though, then is, okay, sure, I got one and two, but what happens if my lineup is super beat up? And then it didn't even matter. Then you're bleeped. But I'd much rather worry about that than sit there and say, man, I got a great offense, but my pitchers can't get me more than two innings. It's, It's a fair concern. It is. And I and I think we've lived the life that you're talking about for the last three to five years where my offense is great, but I'm not sure we got the pitching. The question is, like, are you overcorrecting? Now? Yeah. You know, like, and I don't know. But do I we really think Burleson's overcorrecting losing that just one. If it was just one, I'm totally with you. It's losing the three of them. It's like when you're... Carlson to me, I don't even I don't even anticipate him being a part of my offense this year. And if he is, see, I think I that's a I great think he's going to probably start like 85 games for you. This see, season. If I do that, I'm doing the same thing that I did with Paul DeYoung everywhere i'm like oh i'm thinking he's going to be good this year and then it doesn't yeah, contribute i think, I think it's he's different league average i think he is a fourth outfielder for you yeah. and what that means is we like jordan walker's going to start one day a week at dh it's going to be the way that it works this year we we all know that we have to accept it so go into the season understanding when he's a dh he's getting a work day in the outfield he's going to start one day a week at dh you're probably going to get one day a week where one of lars Newbar or uh, who am I missing here? That's their other outfielder. Right now. Uh, Tommy Edmond is going to get a day off. Dylan Carlson is going to get those starts. If it's a left-handed Tyler pitcher O'Neal. that's on the mound, he should get a start in the outfield that day because Dylan Carlson, for all of his faults, is pretty good against left-handed pitching. Yeah. So he's going to start probably 
two, maybe three times a week in some way. I, just, in some I feel like we're doing this. We're falling into what the Cardinals have been doing for the last five years of saying, no, 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 we can't get this guy up. Sorry, you can't have him. But it's not. I, I disagree because it's like if you have an offensive line, right? If you lose one piece of that offensive line, you can make good. Like if you win an offseason, lose your left tackle. You could probably replace that guy. If you had a pretty good offensive line, you lose your left tackle, you replace him with somebody that's super average, you can make it through. But if you get into a season and you've got a pretty good offensive line, left tackle goes down. You can replace him. You can get chip help. You know, you find a way to make it work as a coaching staff. But how much does that now, now your right guard goes down? All right, we're giving chip help over here to our left tackle, our right guard. We'll do more double teams, right? We'll, we'll make sure our center's given a little nudge to the right first before he ends up picking up his response. Okay, now our right tackle went down. Suddenly things get difficult. And now I've lost my right guard, my right tackle, and my left tackle. And now I only have two starters remaining. And that right guard that I replaced with is now playing at right tackle, which means my seventh or eighth offensive lineman is now starting at right guard for me. And he's incompetent. And that dude can't play. He's not ready to be in the NFL level. And now I'm going up against Aaron Donald. And now I can't operate as an offense. But does any of that matter if your quarterback sucks? I mean, sure, no. But I don't think the quarterback sucks right now for the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals quarterback is Jared Goff who's as good as the players around him will allow him to be. And if you end up getting rid of that offensive line and it goes to hell, now you're stuck. And now you have end of his Rams career, Jared Goff, which was all because of the offensive line, to continue this metaphor. The reason why I bring that up, Alex, is because it's cluster injuries. That's what you're talking about here. If you end up going into the season where you have a lack of depth and then you have injuries, which will happen at some point for this team, now you're getting into your minor league depth once again, which is completely unproven. It might work out for him. It might go horribly wrong. And instead of this year having the issues that we saw last year with the pitching, this year it could be the offense yeah. that prevents you from being able to pick up the slack for your pitching. Maybe your pitching now looks good, but your offense is so damn bad that you become a team that's scoring two runs a game and it doesn't matter how good your pitching is. You're the Cleveland oh, Guardians oh, of the year. Oh, oh, I couldn't watch that. That would be brutal. I just don't know if that offense is going to take that drastic of a turn because of a Burleson, Donovan, or a Dylan Carlson. I think if the offense is that bad. three, though. Yeah, but I think if the offense is that bad, we're talking more about. But it's more injuries, not just. Because I'm not saying Burleson wins a job. I can't build my team worrying about injuries. You have to. Yeah, especially in baseball. I'm building my team worrying about injuries for the rotation. Baseball's a marathon, not a sprint. Then you're building it for the regular season and not the postseason. You have to do both. This is what our fr- frustration has been with the Cardinals is that you can't just build your team for the the postseason or you're going to be screwed over 162 and never get there. You can't just build it for the regular season. You have to have the depth to make it through the regular season. That's where the Dodgers have been excellent. And then you've got to have the upside to win in the postseason once you get there. I think they have a lack of that upside. The way to get that upside, though, I think they might bet my fine point on this. I think they actually match up better with the White Sox for Dylan Cease than they do with the Marlins for Jesus Luzardo. Because I think you match up better by trading from your minor league depth than trading from your major league roster because of their lack of flexibility to spend to then go out and acquire what you need to maintain that depth that you currently have on the roster. That's where I personally am. I don't think you're wrong that they need a number two starter. I think the way they go about getting it is not in the way that we just discussed by trading away Donovan, Carlson, and Burleson. We just have differing opinions on that. All right, coming up next, we're along here at the Juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's 
open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. BK, let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today, man? Guys, you know how much I hate bowl season, right? Despise it in college football. I, they're making it even worse. The Mr. Irrelevant, the final pick in the NFL draft, mm-hmm. you know, he is trying to get the NCAA to pass a waiver for the Irrelevant Bowl. No polls, no rankings, no controversy. The the point of this is to get the two worst college football teams together to play oh, one game. Yes, they want basically the toilet bowl to where they would be looking for a winless one win or two win team to battle it out. The two worst teams in college football. And sorry, Vanderbilt, but you would have been in this bowl this year. Really? With Akron. Illinois in this one? No, no, we won five games. I think it should be two power five teams. Uh, Illinois would be in this. I feel like you should put two power five teams in this conversation. You know what I think? This shouldn't be a thing. What do you mean they do power five teams? What's the point of this? Exactly. Thank you. What's the point of this? To see the two worst teams. Why would I want to watch two crappy teams play against each other? Did you want to watch the Cardinals in September this year? You would. Or this month? This past year? No, you did not. I enjoyed watching Mason win. I didn't enjoy watching the Blues for the final month last year. Well, that's on you, dude. I love the Blues. You don't. I mean, I guess I, I was rooting for them to lose more. So yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, man. No, um, this, can't be a this is this is a terrible Vandy idea. Vandy versus Colorado would have been an amazing game. By the way, Colorado finished last in the Pac-12 last Did, year. Did they wouldn't have qualified, that? would they? How many wins they have total? Uh, four. Yeah, see, we're looking for a zero, one or two. Do you understand how much money well, it would take? Power to- five. There's only one of those. <laughs> exactly. They would have to go to like Akron to do this, which is the other one that they put. Oh, Should Indiana. We-, we could have seen Indiana. How much money would they have to spend to put this game together? Oh, what a waste Dude, of money! Looking, they're, right now, the holdup is they're waiting for a, well, are they actually doing one this? of holdups. I don't think it's been but approved by the NCAA. Two crappy teams they're to trying agree to, to find a location to oh. play this game. Oh yeah, where should it be played? At the dome. I feel like it should be played in like North Dakota because these games are played in November. Where, where's the toilet? It's be cold. Where's the toilet? Put this thing in Alaska. Where's the toilet bowl of the United States? That's the question you got to ask. Jacksonville. Wow. The armpit of America. Cleveland. Oh, you think? Oh, yeah. Cleveland November, is the toilet. Cleveland, for sure. Cleveland is the toilet bowl. Put it in Buffalo. United States. Where it'd be really cold. I like Buffalo, though. I know, but like, I want a, a cold time? football game. Oh, I've never been either. I just think the people look like they're fun. I've they never look been cold either. up there. What do you mean? Yeah, they look like they're, yeah, but they find ways to have fun it's with it. People in Cleveland are miserable. This weekend. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably yeah. pretty cold. So, He's T-Bone. That's Alex on VK. Coming up next, is the rest of this season going to be utilized as an evaluation period for Jordan Cairo? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. looking like right now with Jordan Cairo. I would say the vast majority of Blues fans that I've talked with Alex this season are underwhelmed by what we've seen from Cairo. First, it was the comments about Craig Berube that certainly didn't uh, go over particularly well here in St. Louis. And since then, it's been the lack of production. He's just, he's not producing as a goal scorer. He has nine goals so far this year in 39 games. We talked earlier today about what the future looks like for Pavel Buchnevich and how it could be tied to Jordan Cairo's future here. You can't have, probably, those three, Thomas, Booch, Kairou, all making $8 million per year for the long haul 
if you're the Blues when you have three more defensemen that are making $6 million per year. It's just a really hard way to build a roster with any sort of depth beyond those players. So what does it look like right now for you, Alex, as you're trying to evaluate Kyra's performance, what it means for his future, especially while right now the I would say the elephant in the room is his contract does not yet have that no trade clause involved with it. I mean, the evaluation for me is looking at the offense like he's proven to me that he can be a good defensive player in the terms of what he was the last couple of years. By no means do I think he's a Selkie trophy candidate, but like he's responsible enough now that I don't look at as a liability. It comes back to evaluating like, cool, can you do that, but still be a game changer on the offensive side? And I know that seems like a lot to ask because we were whining last year about being got to be a better defensive player. You put up all these goals, but you stink defensively. And then you do what we were whining about and now I got to score more goals. And I remember there were some people that were saying, hey, I'll give up some of the production for better defensive. Yeah, you cool with this right now? <laughs> And and if this was a guy that was making four or five million dollars, I'd be I'd be happy with it. But the problem is going back to the same thing that we talked about with Booch, like you're making eight million dollars. And I know it seems unfair for us to put that on them because he is young. He's still kind of figuring out how to play. But you're going to have to be both if you want to be the eight million dollar player to get this team out of this weird purgatory that they're in and start getting to winning hockey you got to have consistency in that top line. you got to be able to be a line that even if your bad nights defensively, you're not there, you know you're going to contribute offensively. And the good nights, you know that you're making a difference on the ice. Guys, Robert, as much as we're sitting here saying, like, well, that's a tough thing to ask, Robert Thomas has been doing it all season. He not only has been great defensively, but he is tied for fifth, or he is at fifth place in the most even-strength goals this season in the National Hockey League. So he's doing it. I think you're going to have to have, not I think, you are going to have to have one of Kyrou or Buchnevich to be at that level for this team. If Kyrou was making Buchnevich money, I'd be fine right now. I'd be like, you know what? He fixed the defensive. I'll figure out the offense. But I'm worried that the last three years, like, yes, he scored 37 goals and 32 goals. But, like, those came in spurts. And I don't know if you can have a roller coaster season with an offensive forward like that if you want to start winning. I'm with you. I just, I still think when you look at his production this year, a lot of it is as simple as this. His shooting percentage is half what it was a year ago. If he had his career shooting percentage right now, I think he'd be pretty similar to what we saw from him a year ago. And if you simply switched his power play performance to among the worst in the NHL to what it was last year. We'd be talking about him in the same light that we would last year. Because right now, he would have five more goals. He'd be at 14 on the season. And if you had 14 goals through 39 games, we're talking about a pace of roughly 30 goals over the course of the season again. With improved performance defensively, we're talking about a guy that we're like, okay. So you took the step defensively. You're still a 30-goal scorer. You're on pace for, you know, at that point, what, 70-ish points once again? Is that ideal? Is that what we thought a ceiling would be? No, you you were hoping for more. You thought maybe he could take that step into like the 85 to 90 point range where Robert Thomas has, but it's, it's pretty damn good, man. That's a really good player that you can build around. I think so much of what's taken place with him this year is he's a little snake bit and the shooting percentage is way down. And when that comes back up and I would bet a good amount of money that it will by the end of the season, I think it'll be 10% or above. I think we'll see a guy that we look at the end of the season and say to ourselves, all right, 25 plus goals, a little bit of a step back because of how slow the start has been. 
all things considered, you'd probably take it given his defensive performance. Maybe I just, and I hope that's the case. And look, I, I, I believe that the blues look at this as he's a part of our future, like it or not. He's a part of the future moving forward. And he could be a, an important piece to it, but man, the the inconsistency offensively right now, you're at the point where I'm looking at it saying, I think you might have to break up Thomas Kyrou and Booch because you're not getting offense from them and you're not getting offense in the secondary. And that can't happen for this team. They've got to find more ways to score goals and get creative. And, and again, they're shutting down the other team's top line, which is a good thing to have. But if Jordan Cairo or Pavel Buchnevich, and I hate it because the guy has made significant improvement to his game, but you've got to find a way to create more offense. And right now he's not doing it. Wow. We've got some breaking news. T-Bone, I think this is deserving of the sounder. Not local news, I want to clarify there. NFL news. And it is something that I pushed back on a lot. T-Bone, I think you were the one that called this. Probably. Can we hit the sounder? 101 ESPN breaking news alert. Pete Carroll is expected to be out as the Seahawks head coach, according to Adam Schefter. Quote, he still could remain in the organization in some capacity, but not as the head coach. Hot damn. If I'm another team, I'm hiring Pete Carroll. I would go after Pete Carroll. Yeah, he's a hell of a football. He's an awesome football coach. 14 season. Went 137 and 89 overall, two Super Bowl appearances, won a Super Bowl as well, has as much energy as any 39-year-old coach that you'd go out there to hire as well. Wow. If I'm a team that's on the cusp, like if I'm the LA Chargers, just go hire Pete Carroll. Mm -hmm. I'll figure out what I'm doing afterwards in five years, whenever he decides to retire. Give me the next three years. He's coached in LA. He was at USC for a number of years, had a lot of success there. Damn, man. If I'm him, I don't want to be a part of your organization anymore. You want me out? Cool. I'll leave. I'll go beat your ass. That is shocking. Shocking news in the NFL. Pete Carroll out as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, it's shocking, absolutely, because I think that's the wrong decision. But it also makes sense. Like, Seattle is probably thinking, like, hey, this is this is our team. And if he can't win with it, we got to find somebody who can win with it. I think just like the Mike Vrabel with Tennessee, I think this is an awful decision. When you got a winning <sighs> caliber coach i mean this he's mike tomlin territory like you know what you're going to be every single season plus 500 in a playoff spot mike tomlin with more recent success yeah and so i'd look at this as from seattle being like they they must have one of these rumored player or coaches available that they think is better than pete or they're hiring their oc i bet you somebody was sniffing around their oc as their next head coach and they're saying to themselves like similar to I think it was Dirk Cutter who got hired as the head coach in Tampa Bay. I can't remember who they fired for him, but they fired a coach, hired Dirk Cutter. He was their OC. Somebody else was sniffing around. They wanted to go in and hire him. They said, okay, we're just going to hire Dirk Cutter now. It went horribly. It could not have gone any worse, but they decided to make that move. I wonder if that's what they're doing with the Seahawks. Yeah, I I wondered about Pete Carroll. I don't remember when this was, Monday, I guess, when we talked about this on Black Monday for NFL coaches because – it just felt like it had grown stale. And I say that, and I still believe he's a great head coach. I think he just ran into a bad spot to where, hey, Geno became Geno again. They still have a ton of weapons offensively. And I think that's why when you mentioned the Chargers, I think it's a better spot because I look at that offense and go, man, they've got great weapons just like the Seahawks have. They've got the quarterback, though. And Seattle does not have the quarterback. I, I just wondered if it was going to happen because it had grown kind of stale there. Yeah, they were above 500, but was that good enough for the Seattle Seahawks? And clearly it was not. They're ready to move on. I mean, one of the best coaches, for regardless of level, of the 21st century 
I think it's fair to say. I, I think he gets underrated for how great he was. The dude was unbelievable at USC and then just goes to the NFL where coaches go to die when they coach in college football. Nobody goes from college to the NFL and then has success. Pete Carroll did it seamlessly. And I didn't think that his personality specifically would work in the league where he's this overly exuberant guy that is super positive. Like that was not when he was hired with Seattle, the way that most coaches in the league operated. Now you're seeing more of it. Like Mike McDaniel is, is kind of a little bit of that way where it's overly positive. He's going to keep his guys going all of that high energy all the time. Pete was one of the first of those kinds of coaches to be in the league. And he didn't just have success. He was one of the best coaches of this era in the NFL. So kudos to him. He deserves all of his flowers. There's some reports that he might stay within the organization. I hope he doesn't. If I'm Atlanta, I'm calling him and I'm going to try and sell him on, hey, want to stay in the NFC? There's also reports that Dan Quinn, I didn't think about this, is one of the top candidates to be their next head coach as well. Previously, their defensive coordinator has a lot of ties to that area. I could see that. I could see it working out okay, but I wouldn't fire uh, Pete Carroll for that. Do you want a defensive mind with that offense? If you can keep your OC, sure. Like, I mean, I'm, I fall into the camp of I feel like Dan Quinn's just a perfect defensive coordinator, but I'm not sure he's the head coach or, or a head coach caliber type of person. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it worked out pretty well when he was with the, the Falcons uh, for a while, but he had the right OC. He had Kyle Shanahan as his mm. offensive coordinator. So you got to make sure that you get the right hire there. They have a good OC there um, currently in place. So I, my guess is this will, that'll be the way that this goes is they'll, they'll hire. I, I'm mad that I didn't think about that first, but um, Dan Quinn will probably be the next head coach there. I, I hope Pete Carroll's not done. That would be a loss for the NFL. If Pete Carroll's no longer uh, roaming the sidelines. Him and his, that, that gum just chomping down. Yeah. That guy's got finish. a great jawline. And great I just jawline. love seeing that a seven year old with that kind of energy. I best. hope I can be that. All right, way. coming up in 15 minutes, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. But next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. For more likely to happen, you give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Nine six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely here on 101 ESPN. An update on the NFL news today. The Giants and defense coordinator Mink Wink Martindale have officially agreed to part ways. If you missed this story yesterday, apparently, according to reports from the New York Post, Wink Martindale went into uh, Brian Dable's office. Mother bleeped him, walked out, said, I'm done. Uh, but he didn't actually mean like I'm quitting. He was like, ah, you guys are going to fire me. And then they were like, no, we're not firing you. And today they had a standoff. Apparently they are uh, deciding to mutually part ways. So- yeah. Solid move though. To like walk in and say like, Hey, bleep you, man, you piece of bleep. Yeah. I'm out, but I don't, I'm not quitting. You're <laughs> just saying I'm out. You have to fire me. Yeah. I'm not quitting. You could fire me. Yeah. Cause he wants a severance. Let's be honest. He wants his money. I get it. That's uh, that. that's like uh, when you work at a restaurant and you just, you don't want to work there anymore. This is not from personal experience. A friend apparently sure. where you open up the greaser in the kitchen and be like, I'm done. You don't get fired. You have to clean it up. Mm. You're there for a while, man. 
A friend told me that. Yeah, so uh, if you uh, know yeah. anybody that would yeah. potentially yeah. do that. Just don't do that from personal experience, it. a friend that told so me about it. So that's the New York Giants update. The update on the Seattle Seahawks is that Pete Carroll has decided to uh, call it a career on the coaching ranks, it sounds like. Uh, according to reports, he will be an advisor. He's paid uh, to be part of the organization and sit what on a kid. beach and chill and chew his gum. While they hire a new coach, and the likelihood is that it's probably going to be Dan Quinn, the defense coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, formerly the defense coordinator for the Seahawks and the head coach of the Falcons. So that's your update on the NFL side of things. Let's get to a game of more likely to happen. Guys, more likely to happen. The Blues trade Jordan Kyrou this offseason. Damn it, you took mine, man. <laughs> or Pavel Buchnevich at the deadline. Uh... I think it's more likely you trade Pavel Buchnevich at the deadline. Agreed. Because I think you get a bigger package, and I think this this is going to sound awful, and it's not meant to be awful. I think Buch would be more desirable for teams that are pushing for a playoff spot because he is such a, a important piece on power play, penalty kill, and at even strength. Yeah, that's where I am. I think it would be more likely he gets dealt at the deadline because I, I think, one, you could get a massive haul for him, and it adds to your assets to potentially – be able to flip those assets if you want to try and accelerate the rebuild. Like, say they want to buy and sell. Boom. You bring in a first-round pick and a prospect, and maybe you flip that first-round pick to go get something else, like a defenseman or something along those lines. I, I think Kyra's here for the long run. I don't know about that one, though. <laughs> I, I think it's going to end up being... I, I don't know that either of these happens, but more likely, I think it'll be Buchnevich. I, I don't think that they're going to pay three guys $8 million per year, and I think they've made their bet. I think they've made their bet on Jordan Cairo when they gave him that contract, and I believe that he... I, I do agree with T-Bone. I think he's going to be here for the long haul, so I'll, I'll go with that side of things. Alex, I'll give you a little bit more time since I stole yeah. yours. <laughs> Please. T-Bone, what do you have? Guys, more likely to happen. Missouri wins two or fewer games in SEC conference play for basketball, or Illinois wins the Big Ten? Wow, it's Illinois winning the Big Ten because Sue ain't winning any games. Illinois is not winning the Big Ten. Purdue's unbelievable. Oh, Mizzou's um, going to win two games in the SEC? I've watched Mizzou at least three times, and they ain't winning SEC matchups. I mean, so you're saying that it's Mizzou. He said Mizzou wins two or fewer, so you'd like that side. Oh, I thought it was two or more. Oh, no. Two oh, okay, two or fewer. Two or, yeah, two or fewer would be like worse than what they did under Kim Anderson. Yeah, it's, I'll go with that. They play like 18 games in the SEC. I'll go with two or fewer. Yeah, I mean, it, They're not all it that is impressive. probably Illinois because yeah. winning two games in the SEC is a really hard accomplishment. Um, but Mizzou's not very good. They're yeah. not very good at basketball. It literally is good. I don't think that they have this kind of ceiling. Dude, Purdue is awesome. Like This Purdue team is amazing. And I know they lost the other night against Nebraska, and now people are going to overcorrect. They're going to be like, oh, look at Purdue doing what they always do. That's Good start to the regular correct. season. They're going to fall artists. apart in the, in the um, NCAA tournament again. Dude, Zach Eady is in shape this year, and he looks amazing. So I'll, I will say it's Illinois, but I don't think that it actually happens. I'll still say it's Illinois, and I think they got a shot to win the Big Ten. I, and then in the play, first round of the they, playoffs. They've play, I know that they got off to a very tough start in that game against Purdue. They outscored them in the final, I don't remember what it was. I think it was Sounds like excuses. 28 minutes or something like that. Yeah, because they, Purdue took their foot off the gas. No, no like because 15. Illinois can compete with Purdue. Let's, just, let's call a spade a spade, okay? I, uh, I, I think they can. I, will they... Probably not, because it probably will be Purdue, because that's a really good team. And Illinois has nobody that can guard Edie. 
But I, I think Illinois has got a shot at the Big Ten. If Purdue stumbles or deals with an injury, I, I think Illinois still can win the Big Ten, and that's without Terrence Shannon. All right, Alex, we're running late okay. here. You've got one quick Follow along with me here. More likely to happen, Pete Carroll and Mike Vrabel with their new teams win more games. I'm out. I'm, I just confused myself. All right, Never coming mind. up next, Chris Kerr <laughs> with the Voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Bring out the Zamboni! It's time for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber, brought to you by Scott Lee Heating Company, a proud Mitsubishi electric elite contractor. And T-Bone on BK 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line. Keep that number close because coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, we're going to give you a chance to, to win a pair of tickets to see Billy Joel and Sting for one night only coming up on September 27th at Bush Stadium. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up in just about 10 minutes or so. But right now we are going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues here on the show. Kerbs, appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Brandon, doing well. How are you? Uh, we're doing all right. So, Curbs, earlier today, uh, we were talking about that game from last night and how w- what kind of a role the power play played in it. I was listening to your guys' call of it, and you mentioned afterwards you just got to find a way uh, to score on that. Curbs, I looked this up earlier today. In the last 60 years of hockey, the Blues have the third worst power play in terms of goals scored through the first 39 games of the season. So in the last 60 years of games uh, that we've played, you look at the first 39 games of the season, there's only been two other teams that have scored fewer goals through the first 39 games on the power play than this team. What do we do with this unit right now? Well, I think that they've finally done something that I'm actually kind of surprised it's taken this long to do, and they've juggled up the units. I mean, sometimes it, it, it really is hard to picture. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? Like that kind of skill in a five-on-four, just just not producing and getting the goals. And um, honestly, it doesn't make any sense. Now, I, I look at a couple things. I think the Blues have tried that bumper play to the middle of the ice. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. They just aren't able to execute it the way other teams are. So to me, you almost stop trying to execute that one. And, and at times, I wonder if they if it feels like they're they're trying to force that play because that's the play they're looking for. And then they try very low percentage plays, long passes all the way across the ice. Brandon, when you look at the first 60 seconds of the first power play last night, it was some of the fastest passing, quick shooting, quick decision-making. Guys were in the right spot. The passes were on the mark. The shots were on goal. It was some of the best I think we had seen all year. And then this team got away from it again real quick. And that's just one of the you know DNA characteristics of this group. So they're changing it up a little bit. I talked to Drew Bannister today at the morning or at the the practice that one of the big things he thinks that they need to do is make sure that they take the eyes away from the other team from the goalie. So Jake Neighbors is going to be net front on one unit. Oscar Sundquist is going to be net front on the other. Colton Pareko is going to be on one of the units because they want a shot uh, threat from up top. They're going to put uh, Krug and Perunovic on the other power play unit. So. 
shot mentality and net front seems to be the next layer of focus for this team when it comes to the power play. You know, Curbs, you and I have talked a lot about this on post games about Pareko getting more of an opportunity on the power play. And I'm just looking at this from his first year all the way up until he was 26. So the first five years of his NHL career, three power play goals, four power play goals, two power play goals, four, and then three. And since then he does has not had a power play goal. Is, is this kind of an ingredient that could be missing? Well, you look at when he first came into the league, he played uh, on that second power play unit. And, and the Blues had some really good power plays in, in that window there. Uh, a lot of times that second power play unit sometimes maybe only get 30 seconds out there. So I, I don't look for monster numbers on there. Uh, if you're looking for Kale McCarr you know, kind of numbers, uh, Carlson kind of numbers, you're not going to get those from Colton Pareko. But he did find a way to be a threat. He did find a goals. You know, his first years in the league, 10 goals every year. You'll take that when you're developing a big defenseman like that. And, you know, and frankly, he hasn't been on the power play since the Blues signed Tory Krug because you've had Krug and you've had Falk, and it's really that simple. And then he's developed into such a strong defenseman that they want him coming over the boards that very first shift when the other team is throwing their top line out there, you know, at the end of a, of a penalty kill on their end. So, um, I, yeah, look, it, this is one of those things where will it work? I don't know. One, you've got to have somebody passing the puck in an area that he can shoot it, and Colton's going to have to have a shooting mentality. What I do like, though, is the fact that they're finally trying it. I was surprised to see Jacob Verana just immediately come up and get put on that, um, you know, and and I'm, I'm glad that that adjustment has been made. And I'm looking forward to seeing what, what's happened. Colton only had the one game where he was on it, and I think they were out there for about 20 seconds. So we'll see how it goes, but I love the fact that you've got that shot out there because, you know, sometimes it may go wide, sometimes it may not shoot it enough, but people know of that shot and they now know that that's a threat. Chris Kerber is the voice of the Blues, and he's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Kerbs, uh, I did want to ask you a question about something that we discussed earlier today. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich is entering next year, the final year of his contract. And I think he's had a good season, maybe not a great one, though, but he's so good all around. I, I've said before, he's, he's my favorite player to watch on this team. I, he's, in my opinion, the best penalty killer I've seen from the Blues forward-wise since I've moved here to St. Louis, which has been the last seven years or so. I, I love the guy. But they're going to have a decision to make on whether or not they're going to extend him on a long-term deal. And that deal is likely to command something like eight-plus million dollars per year based on his production and his two-way value. How difficult, in your opinion, would it be for the Blues to make that kind of a commitment to him while also maintaining $8 million per year to both Thomas and Cairo on the uh, on the forward group and then $6 million a year to Letty and Krug and Bennington and Falk. Is that too difficult to maintain with that many guys making that much money? I don't think it will be uh, from this standpoint. Number one, if his numbers bear out that he's earned it, that's a really good thing. Okay, and you've already set the bar of what those numbers look like for a, a Thomas and a Cairo. So if he matches that, you're going to deal with what the Toronto Maple Leafs are dealing with, with Nylander with that extension, with the way that they had signed Marner and, and Matthews and Tavares, right? So each team kind of has their own salary structure that's set. So if, if uh, Pavel Butchnevich ends up pulling in, you know, and getting you 70 to 80 points a year, just like those other two guys have had, I don't think you're going to have a problem doing it because he's one of the smartest hockey IQ guys on this team. He's still obviously in his prime, and you need smart hockey players like that. There's two other factors real quick on this one. One, the salary cap is expected to go up. 
So that's going to ease some of that burden. Now, that doesn't mean that a team's budget's going to go up. Just because the cap goes up, the team still have to find that money, right? And then the other part of that, to be honest with you, is if is if you are bringing in guys and you still have, you know, a, a Jake Neighbors and, and you're bringing in maybe a Snuggerud and a Dvorsky, and you've got some of those other guys. I, I think you've got some younger guys with enough team control that you don't have to pay as much right now. So the first few years of that contract, you're going to be just fine, and that's when this team, uh, you know, really starts to click. So, Curbs, Drew Bannister last night talked a little bit about, you know, how if he feels like guys are pushing to get into the lineup and what that means. We've seen McEachern get called up and then sent back down. Verona brought up and then out of the at least lines earlier today. Are, are there any other guys you feel like need to get that call to see what they have to offer if these guys aren't working? Well, I, I think if you look at the production of Godet down there, he's earned it. I do believe, and I and I I like this philosophy. I, I think right now they want to keep the Dean and Bolduc down there developing and playing well, and that will be. I know it could be frustrating as a fan saying, "Boy, you could probably use one of those guys." And what if it clicks? And the other thing is, what if it doesn't? This is a long term play with those two guys, and I and I'm okay with that philosophy. What I what I'm really, I don't know, stunned, shocked. I don't know exactly what the word is, Alex. To be honest with you, but. It's it's blown my mind that the call-ups that the Blues have made, just guys haven't figured out what they needed to do. Whether it was with Craig Berube, it was a pretty simple style of hockey that he was asking you to play. Go in, get the puck deep, and and, and go do it. Um, and, and, and then bang and, and hit for it. And whether you're McEachern, whether you're Alexandra, if you're any one of these guys, you're coming up in a role. Do you want to stay in the National Hockey League? If you do, you've got to move in. You've got to get the body. You've got to hold the puck in the offensive zone and make smart decisions. And and they're not doing it. Sammy Blay is having a hard time finding his way consistently in the lineup right now with his play being up and down. So I think Nathan Walker is the kind of player that fits that bill. You know exactly what you're going to get. They're moving him to center on that fourth line tomorrow. They're moving Oscar Sundquist up. Um, but But to me, at some point in time, one of these guys, and we're not talking, listen, we're also not talking 21, 22-year-old guys just trying to find their way. We're talking about guys that have been around the league long enough to know what they need to do, and the question is, do you want to stay in the league? And do, and, and if so, you've got to bring more to the table than, than has been brought here. So I'll tell you what, if it, if it could, like, Verona will not be in the lineup tomorrow because of his play last night, unless there's an injury. I mean, and that's, that's and I, I like that aspect of what uh, Drew Bannister is bringing to the table here. So at some point, Alexandrov comes off that conditioning stint. And if that's the case, then, then who goes down? And, and right now, guys are not making those decisions very difficult on the coach or the general manager. He's Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. You'll hear him on the call tomorrow night. Blues versus Rangers, one of my favorite teams to watch anytime that they go up against the St. Louis Blues. It's going to be fun to see Chris Kreider in town. Pre-game with Alex starting at 6. Chris Kerber has the call with Joey Vitale tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Kerbs, appreciate the time as always, man. Be well. We'll talk with you again soon. Okay, guys, have a great rest of the week. You got it. Kurt Kerber, appreciate his time as always. I guess my one thing about the guys that they've called up, Alex, I, I don't know that we should have expected anything different. Like Mackenzie McEachern has never been a guy that is a consistent player in the NHL. The last time that we saw him in the league was the last time that we saw him for the Blues. He played 14 games that year and averaged seven minutes of ice time mm-hmm. per game. I wasn't expecting him to be somebody that came up and took advantage of his opportunity. No, but you were expecting him to make an impact the way that Nathan Walker's made an impact on the fourth line. He's never been that guy. Well, I understand he's never been that guy, but what Curb said, do you want to stay in the NHL? I don't think he's capable of it. And that's not a shot against Mackenzie McEachern. Dude, he's made a pretty good career out of this. Like he's, he's done all right, but 
he's not somebody that can maintain a consistent spot in your lineup. Last year, he played for a contender and played in the AHL all season long I for think a that, reason. I think that was also a Drew Bannister decision because Drew saw and played him in the minors, and he had him in a top six role in the minors. Sure. So that and was he, a Bannister saying, like, let's see if I could bring something a to it. player. We see this all the time in Major League Baseball where guys get the call up and they don't have the ability. And I think you learned that, and I think that's why you probably won't see him back up here Totally again. agree. But like Sammy Blay, I mean, we knew this was possible. When he went to New York, he fell out of favor for a reason. Nikita Alexandrov. We've just never really seen him have that's the one that's wild to me with the Blues. We've seen it in spurts. There's but, been moments. But we also haven't seen him with Bannister yet. Sure, and I'm I'm more than happy to see him get another opportunity. He's 23 years old. That's different in a me second round draft than pick. the other ones that we're talking about here. But like Verona, man, we knew what this was going to be like. Mm-hmm. He had a brief experience down in the AHL. We talked to his coach. He said, "Ah, oh, he's playing with physicality." Really. Do you believe that? I didn't. And so, like, I I knew we all knew he was likely to make the same kind of mistake that he did last night. So I I understand what Kerber's saying, and I'm not even pushing back necessarily against what he's saying. They're not asking for a lot. They're asking you to play, like, this very generic, vanilla, meat-and-potato style of hockey. I just think a lot of these guys can't. I think he's also talking about, like, I'm looking at this lineup that they had at practice today. I think he's also talking about a guy like Kapanen. I mean, Kapanen's trending towards potentially being a healthy scratch. He's gone from playing on the second line. He played on the top line, playing on the third line. Now he's playing with Walker and Toropchenko, at least after practice today. So I think you're also talking about that type of player. Like, do you want to stay in this lineup? Because if Kapanen continues to struggle. There was also a reason why he was put on waivers by Pittsburgh. The players that we are talking about but you're not a, ch- a part of your future. But you took a chance on him. And that's what the whole For point the reason. of. They, yeah. the, the upside was worthy of what you took a chance on. This is something that Jamie said all offseason. I'll give him credit. He said, hey, a lot of the guys that you guys are excited about are guys that played well when nothing was on the line. Yeah. They played well for the Blues when they were completely out of the contender status, and they knew none of these plays matter. So it's the same thing as t- making too much of September baseball. Yeah, when these call-ups are coming up, I know this as a Royals fan where guys would come up, play well in September when the team had already lost 95 games, none of it mattered. And then the next year you'd get in, and it's April, and they're going up against teams' top top pitchers and stuff. They sucked. They were awful. Same thing has been true a lot for this year. Like this I, is this is the part that baffles me, and I I agree with Curbs on the sentiment of like don't bring Bullduke and Dean up into this because that's not going to benefit you, and I think you're better off keeping them down there. But I, the part that baffles me is why Adam Gaudet hasn't gotten an opportunity. I, I mean, that's it, probably next. Twenty goals and thirty two points in thirty three games. I don't know if he's an NHL player. He might also be a four A player, but I could almost guarantee you a guy that's played in the NHL that probably doesn't want to go back to the AHL is going to put a little bit more life into his game than what certain guys we've seen from right now. I guess my biggest thing would be like I, I would imagine his coach from the AHL and Drew Bannister would also know those things. And if he's not getting the call up with Bannister here, it does make me wonder. Like, is there something maybe? That he's but not but that could either. also be a front office saying like, let's figure out what these guys are before we go any further. He's Alex Estibone on BK. Coming up next, we'll hit the rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario brought to you by Gloria Lube, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Alongside 
Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you missed anything from today's show, I thought it was a pretty good one. Check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And right now, since you stuck along with us, even if you thought it was terrible, now is your chance to score a pair of tickets to see Billy Joel and Sting. It is a one-night-only performance Friday, September 27th at Bush Stadium. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number 101 and you can't answer the following question correctly, you're getting the pair of tickets to see Billy Joel and Sting. The question is as follows. What was the bowl game that T-Bone mentioned earlier today? What was that bowl game going to be called? He mentioned it during the junk drawer today. Answer that correctly on the Air Comfort Service text line. You're getting the pair of tickets. By the way, you can register for another chance to win over at the 101 ESPN mobile app on Friday. The tickets will go on sale. Alex, we've got some great guests the rest of the week. We are expecting to be joined by J.P. Morosi at some point this week. Buster Only will join us at some point this week. I believe Jimmy Snuggerud Scott Wheeler. will join us this week. Scott Wheeler talking about the prospects. So plenty more We're good on a hot stuff streak. here on the show. Coming up next, next up, up it's time for the fast lane here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.